To the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We actually have, well, I actually have a microphone this week. Large William is uh, just finishing off a bowl of cereal. And uh, we are continuing the sleazy summer. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was my voice. Oh, <laughs> some Cheerios. Mm. I drink coffee there. Sorry, apologize. Anyway, we are back. Um, this week we are covering a couple more selections. One of them was actually selected by us. Well, Large William, for that matter. House on the Edge of the Park, Ruggiero Diodato. That was your pick, dude. You broke oh, it. It was. I did pick that, didn't I? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit, you're right, I did. I forgot you picked that uh, Amazon film and or something and something else. I picked Treasure of the Amazon and Art of Dying. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so you did Art of Dying last week. There we go. And then yeah. I did House on the Edge of the Park. Yeah, I wanted to pick it because uh, now I think about it, I did. I wanted to pick it because we had talked about it for a long time, so it was time to... And, you know, you wanted sleazy selections, and I, that would just jump to my head right away. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for for uh, several reasons, uh, one of them being very golden. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's 1980, and uh, we're also going to do Girl Boss Gorilla, which is a Pinky Violence film uh, from 1972, I believe. It sounds about right, man. Yeah, so Tattoo Tittas. And uh, some uh, tattooed Hess ass. Unfortunately, there's no tattoo on Hess's ass, but uh, 
that would have fit in perfect with his character in this film. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but that is what we are doing. Sleazy Summer's rolling on, and we are back. Uh, what have you been watching lately? Had a light week, um, as I will, as I've always said, the, the theme of the summer. And that way, it's been a cruel summer, I guess. Um, otherwise, it's been a great summer. But um, kind of got back to normal a little bit more, you know, being back in town this week. So I got about three or four things in. Now, mind you, that's even better than it sounds because we just recorded on Tuesday night, right? Yes, yes. So really, that's only a few days to watch anything. Yep. Um, first thing I watched was a Criterion documentary I got from my library called Antonio Gaudi about the Spaniard architect. Now, <clears throat> this is really cool, man. I'm always interested to kind of go and find, I think this is, this is on Hulu as well, I believe, and Amazon Prime maybe. But um, I always like finding these films. I really got to get Hulu. I got to rig up my, uh, <clears throat> like my IP so I can sign up for Hulu because there's a lot of deep cut criterion stuff that no one knows about or that no one really talks about because it's they just you know they put out stuff through Eclipse or well there's a lot, on. a lot of stuff they don't put out uh, physically or they haven't upgraded to Blu-ray and it's out of print correct yeah. correct and this ooh that's a strong cup of coffee and uh, <laughs> man I'm gonna be rocking and rolling um, <clears throat> man it'll be like uh, a macho man interview uh, midway through the uh, I've had one of those duty before. Episode. You take a drink and you're like, pause, my nose curls and everything. Like, oh. Yeah, it's heavy duty. Um, but And this disc, now that I look at it, is pretty jam-packed. But anyway, uh, Antonio Gaudi is directed by uh, Hiroshi Teshigahara, who is uh, a Japanese filmmaker. Um, I've seen a couple of his films. He's a really cool filmmaker in his own right. Did The Face of Another, <clears throat> Woman in the Dunes, uh, Pitfall, a few others. But what this is, is I keep kind of going in circles here, is about Antonio Gaudi, who was um, an unbelievable architect. And um, all the documentary does for probably its 75-minute runtime is it takes the kind of audacious visual style of Teshigahara and marries it to a camera kind of panning through and weaving through and up and above uh, the architecture of Gaudi in Spain and elsewhere. This guy's stuff is so far out. You know, words can't really do it justice. Um, you can tell that, um, you know, people like Jodorowsky were heavily influenced by his architecture. Um, well, I can't remember who else I said now was would have, would have been really heavily influenced by his architecture. But it, it's <clears throat> unlike anyone else's work I've ever seen. Uh, it's just really incredible stuff. Um, but it's a cool documentary. It was kind of a nice change of pace for me to, you know, I wanted to watch a documentary and uh, threw that on and it was, uh, yeah, it was a good time. I uh, I would recommend others check it out if they get a chance. I'm just trying to find uh, who else I thought it reminded me of because it really jumped out at me. Um, I'll talk about something else here as... As I uh, ramble and stumble through this, <clears throat> another one, uh, my Patrick Dewaire, Dewaire, um, love rolls on uh, because I saw Judge Fayard, which uh, is a tremendous Euro crime film directed by Yves Boisset, uh, based on a true story about a judge or a magistrate who 
was young and very ambitious and was um, ended up trying ended up kind of getting in not kind of got in over his head uh, but um, was trying to nail some big people um, and uh, oh Giger was the other guy I was thinking of Giger was had to be influenced by this guy's work I got to anybody um, but Judge Fayard Patrick Delray it's got a who's who of kind of character actors and in France it's got uh, Patrick Leotard Who's a cool kind of you know kind of tough guy actor of the uh, '70s and '80s that has Marcel Botsufi. Um I highly recommend this this one. It's kind of like a D- Damiani Eurocrimer. It's you know about corruption and you know well kind of one good man or a few good men in the midst of a sea of corruption. So and the, the case it's based on is pretty fascinating as well. So high high recommend for me. That one was very good. Nice. Uh, next up, what I. <laughs> I uh, I think I'd seen some screenshots of this on the site that shall not be named, and I know uh, Zom and Loaf covered it on Silver and Gold, and <laughs> the synopsis is too juicy to pass up. It stars Jack Palance as a nutty antiques dealer who starts to sacrifice women to an African idol. Yeah, <laughs> that's an amazing. Um, Amazing synopsis. I, I had to watch it. I wanted, you know, Balance is one of the great scenery tours. Speaking of them, and uh, you know, the film's pretty fucking bland, other than you know, some time, other than the Palance screen time. Yeah, you know, it's it's really unfortunate, but uh, you know, still worth a watch to see that film with with him kind of going bonkers and saying Chuku, Chuku, <laughs> as Lofit said. So Chuku. Oh, that's great, man. He's got the pencil-thin mustache, and <laughs> he's eating pussy, and it's it's a good time for Palance. Yeah, hey, there you go. The Wanderers oh, agree. The Wanderers agree on that one. Um, man, you get text messages at 5 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> you know what? I don't know how to change my... Uh, ooh, I got some library books that got to go back. Oh, you got a reminder. Okay. I, was, I, I, thought, I always thought that was a text message thing, not a reminder thing. So reminder it's makes both, and I got I to do something to differentiate my text message from my email notifications. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like... I think I got text message. I'm checking because I figure it's probably something time sensitive at 5.45 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, next up, I started on the Bowery. The celebrated uh, documentary for the sixth time, for the, yeah, yeah, for the fifth time. I actually, I'll be going on to time number six. You know, uh, that's why I didn't happens. get to. That's what you know. It, it happens. That's what that, that that's our life in a nutshell. Yeah, so I didn't get to watch that. Um, I'll eventually finish Start Up. I've only watched it like I don't know fourteen times. Oh, I know, man. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, I decided to put on uh, Crazy, which is one of my favorite Canadian films of the past decade or so. And uh, it's a Jean-Marc Valley film who I think is opening TIFF this year. And Crazy is a really good film. It's, uh, it's about a uh, Quebecois fa- uh, family. They had five sons. And uh, it's them growing up in the 60s and 70s. It kind of feels like <clears throat> the Wonder Years if... It was made for film. Hmm. Uh, it was all sons, and one of the sons was um, uh, questioning his sexuality. Okay. But otherwise, it really has sort of a Wonder Years feel with sort of a, a, a reflective monologue. It's a really good film. Like uh, it's not a showstopper, but it's solid kind of seven and a half territory. Like it's very well made, and you know they paid big money for the soundtrack. I think most of Valet's um, pay. 
you wanted to put into getting the certain songs of the time, like they got Patsy Cline and Pink Floyd and Bowie and, you know, just it captures, I think it captures, you know, a moment in time and it captures uh, family dynamics and, and brotherhood and, and more more the one boy's relationship with the father and and the mother. Um, it, it's very good. You know, I, I quite like it. I, was, I hadn't seen it in, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how many years, but, and Teresa liked it too, so. Nice. Uh, and then we finished the week off with one with the kids last night, uh, Batman Unlimited, Monster Mayhem. Yeah. So this was cool, man. These Batman Unlimited films, although I don't like the kind of futuristic vibe of them, uh, you know, I'm very loyal to Brave and the Bold at this point. But <clears throat> these, this is the second Batman Unlimited film we've seen. They're very kid friendly, mm-hmm. which is good because um, not all the Batman one, all the DC ones are. But <laughs> yeah. they almost, ha- yeah, there's some of them are the opposite, man. <clears throat> But uh, they had, it's weird. These Batman and other ones feel like they're hand-drawn and they feel like um, almost like uh, a kind of larger scale Ninja Turtles episode from the late 80s. Nice. Kind of got that vibe. And this one's kind of cool. It's got Joker, Clayface, Silver Banshee, um, nice. going Scarecrow. D- going deep with the Silver Banshee. Yeah, man. And well, Silver, Ban- Silver Banshee, I was like, man, she's kind of foxy. But I realized afterwards it must have been a subconscious thing because Carrie Rurr voiced her. Oh, there you go. So, uh, but it's got all them teaming up with, uh, they're basically, they shut down, they, they put a computer virus out that shuts down everything in Gotham City because it's in the future. So it's even more reliant on technology. And Joker becomes king. And Clayface, it becomes such a, he's, and, and oh, it also has um, Solomon Grundy. Oh, nice. <laughs> Who provides a lot of comedic relief. Yes. Um, so it's good, man. It was, you know, it's uh, not like a showstopper, but, you know, you could do a lot worse watching a 75-minute uh, or 80-minute animated kids film. Nice. Sounds good. All right, I only watched, I only watched a few things. Uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, watch a whole lot. Of course, we just recorded not too long ago. I plan on watching more, but... Well, we don't need to say what we always say there, do we? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I watched a little uh, hour-long documentary on uh, Netflix called Bigfoot uh, uh, Bigfoot's Reflections or Bigfoot's Reflection, something like that. I think I think it's called Bigfoot's Reflection uh, because it's about these guys who you know claim to have actually seen Bigfoot and you know how they've kind of lived with that. You know, there's some yeah, obviously there's some ridicule, there's some this, there's some that. You know, you you. It's it's something you got to deal with if you uh, decide to go down this path, uh, you know. And there's people with you know, you know, general you know great reputations. Look, I I, I love everything Bigfoot. I'm a big big I'm a gigantic Bigfoot fan. There we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had to find another word. But um, uh, you know, I, I understand that you know some people aren't, and and I get that. And do I think it exists? I don't know. I don't really know, and I don't really think about that. But I love the idea of it, and I love the obsession i should say of people who do uh i always find it fascinating when people are obsessed with something anything and uh, when they're obsessed with uh you know a gigantic furry man like i am with zom it's amazing so (laughs) (laughs) so you know but uh it is it is pretty interesting to say the least uh it's it's only an hour long like i said if you want to check it out it's uh, on netflix uh and the only other thing I watched was the the Wrecking Crew. I believe that's all I watched. I don't think I I'm, I'm going to check right now to see if I watched anything else. But the Wrecking Crew is a documentary that was wrecked to me. That's actually been out for a while. I think it's actually been out for like six or seven years, but it just got released this year. Yeah, uh, that's right. Quote unquote released this year, and uh, 
It's good. It's it's real good. It's, uh, I liked it quite a bit. I don't know if I liked it as much as Muscle Shoals, the, that documentary, but I liked it equally probably as much, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was solid. Um, again, it's another example of that that I was talking about. You know, before we started recording, I was talking about how being an ex-musician, you kind of, uh, if even if music isn't of your taste, you kind of find what you like in it no matter what. And uh, here you got a bunch of musicians who grew up playing jazz and and all kinds of different types of music and then they became part of rock and roll and they played everything from uh you know the beach boys to um uh well you name it to phil Spector's wall of sound stuff to all kinds of stuff well into the 70s and 80s and tommy tedesco is uh one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived so it's just it's it's uh it's really uh very vastly interesting i, I expect uh people to like it if they check it out uh, even if you don't like all of the music, uh, some people can't get past that. And I, I get it, but, uh, you know, professional musician. I, I, at one point, I, I strive to be that. I thought, man, I'm going to be a session musician. They can, make, they, they can make, you know, millions of dollars. They're behind the scenes. Yeah. It's more my kind of gig. That's kind of a have, a cake, have your cake and eat it too kind of job, right? You don't have to deal with the bullshit of fame, but you get the money. Yes, exactly. So, but, uh, and that didn't quite pan out. Uh, ended up doing something different with life. <laughs> male stripper almost yeah. as lucrative yeah stripper slash gigolo you know i managed yes. i managed to get a slash in there and it, like uh cordell stewart i managed to find a way to... <laughs> <laughs> oh well anyway didn't expect a cordell reference on the show this week <laughs> well he can be sleazy yeah <laughs> can't we all anyway that's like jack that sounded like palance man yeah, yeah. Ooh. Uh, all right. That sounded like uh, Randy Macho Man Savage a little bit. All right. <laughs> yeah. Or J.J. Watt taking a shit. Anyway, uh, I don't know where that came from. J.J. Uh, <laughs> Watt's uh, asshole. Yeah. It's a big dude, man. I'd better keep plunger near that. Uh. Yeah. You better have a big exit port on the toilet, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, that's all we watched. Very short and sweet this week. Um, we're going to get into some reviews. So uh, what do you want to do? You want to do chronological? You want to do... Uh, um, yeah, sure. Let's do chronological. That's cool. Okay, we can do that. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Girl Boss Gorilla right after this. American Dream. American dream, Dusty Rose Beavers. I'm coming to you live and in a living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver, Sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Oh, 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 oh,
touch the sky when the weather's fine. You got women, you got women on your mind. Have a drink, have a drive, go out and see what you can find. If a daddy's rich, take her out for a meal. If a daddy's poor, just do what you feel. Speed along the lane, you can dine or return to 25. When the sun goes down, you can make it big and good and really fine. When I bad people, when I dirty, when I mean, we love everybody. All right, we're back. <laughs> Little la di da di da 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 Put a Mungo Jerry Deer bite. <laughs> yeah, I love it. When oh, the summer's above. It's great, man. <laughs> little Mungo Jerry. Well, give me my give me my jug, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my jug. Sounds more like JJ Watt. Oh. <laughs> that sounded loose, man. You gotta tighten up, man. Yeah. Well, you sounds know. Sounds like uh, dat prolapse. <laughs> I use my uh, what was a? I was watching something that was talking about. Uh, Ooh, speaking of prolapse, <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't watching. No, <laughs> Kelly didn't send me any videos. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> every rose has its thorn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a thorny. It's a thorny <laughs> subject. All right. No doubt about that. But uh, oh, I was watching something, and they were talking about a drug that you take to dilates the asshole. I can't remember what I was watching. <laughs> Ooh, you gotta text me that later. <laughs> I, was, I don't think it might have been a crime thing or something. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was a dream. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe it was just some of my one of my rotten, dirty dreams. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. So our first film is uh, Girl Boss Gorilla, nineteen seventy two. Uh, directed by Norobumi Suzuki, easy name to say. Original title: Sukiban Jirira, 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 Jirira. Go, Jirira. I like saying, I like saying Sukiban, Sukiban. Well, there's a ton of Sukiban films. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to say Sukiban. Uh, okay, so uh, Miko Sugimoto is the leader of the Red Helmet Gang, which has some sexual connotations all by itself. A biker girl gang from Shin- Shinjuku. Who wind up in I hate Kyoto and Kyoto make a bid to take over for the local girls there, the local gang girls there, girl gangs there. Uh, yeah, they they make a bid, all right. It, it takes all of five minutes, <laughs> but yeah. uh, we'll get into that. Yeah. So uh, I believe it or not, I'd never seen this. Uh, oh, nice man. I I had uh, this is one you know the Pinky Violence films, not a genre that I really uh, ever really kind of got into and then by the time everybody was talking about them I kind of moved on to something else it's one of those weird things yep. so um, I'm always kind of happy when somebody picks one or when you pick one stuff because it's, it's not a genre I'm super familiar with although as we've done the show I've become very familiar with the tropes of, mm-hmm. of the genre to say the least but uh, okay I'll kick it over to you and uh, we'll get going on this one here nice yeah it's cool both films this week I had on DVD and kind of my uh, I don't know about the like sort of my early cult movie collecting days, like you know, twelve, fifteen years ago, which seems so long ago. Yeah, I know. maybe ten years, anywhere from ten to fifteen years ago. But um, I remember seeing this Pinky Violence collection in an Asian mall I was in, and I thought, man, what the fuck is this? And uh, I grabbed it and uh, watched them, watched the films, and uh, I had a blast with it. Yeah. So. Um, they're yeah they're they're really fun films. So when Josh picked this, I think it's uh, as you're going to hear in our review here. Um, it's 
they're, they're, they're kind of really great. Um, well, they not, may not always be uh, – this is so distracting. I'm on IMDb and there's some ad for some Meryl Streep movie called Ricky and the Flash where <laughs> yeah. she's got like see Rick Springfield. Braids. See Rick Springfield in the corner there? Jeez, man. Yeah, supposedly she's uh, you know the film's really uh, she's really good in the film. That's her daughter with her there. Braids and shit. It's like, come on. Yeah, oh, that's like, that's the daughter that Eric. Yeah. Was telling us about. So Bonnie, 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 maybe a Bonnie Raid influence or something. I don't know, but evidently she sings it and stuff. It's little like cropped uh, leather jacket and braids. It looks kind of annoying, yeah. but anyway, I got the same thing I'm on right now. I'm looking at it. Fuck, man. Rick Kevin Springfield Klein. with that uh, that that facelift there, bay. Oh, big time, man, big time. <laughs> but uh, these, I think, are really. Well, they're not perfect films. I think they're perfect films to show someone the kind of bonkers side of cult cinema of Japan yeah. in the 70s. Because I think they kind of tick off a lot of boxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it ticks off every box. <laughs> yeah. i got to get my notes. I'm into just rambling here with no notes. I'm like freewheeling like Maravich. Just go for it, uh, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, I want to talk about Norfumi Suzuki for a moment because – or Norfumi or Norabumi. I've seen it spelled both ways um one of the underappreciated genre directors well maybe not underappreciated but uh i don't think well yeah it's underappreciated man I, you know he's he was uh, you know pretty big deal man he uh did a lot of films and uh some of them including the trucker yarrow series which i've seen a couple of and they're really rad uh, the red peony gambler series which predated um Miko Kashi's turns in, um, man, how am I blanking out on that? Her, um, Snowblood? female, yeah, Lady Snowblood film. <laughs> it's okay, man. It Sometimes uh, we blank on the, the things that are well known, right? <laughs> goodness gracious. We spend so much time in the other stuff that I blank on the, I blank on that stuff all the time, man. So don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I mean, he's done a ton of films uh over the years that um are really great to school of the holy beast i think i think he did if memory serves did he do that one i think he did i thought he did i thought he did um but anyway he's he had a really prolific career and uh yeah, he, did he did a lot of the he did school of the holy beast yes pinky, a lot of the pinky violence films sex and fury sex and fury which uh you know again teams up uh Oh, no, no, no. That one doesn't team up. Uh, it teams up Lindbergh with um, Reiko Ike, I believe. Mm-hmm. If memory serves. But he did a lot of the films in this this box set. He just uh, died last year. Yeah. And, he, you know, School of the Holy Beast, uh, Women's Violent Classroom, which is fun. I think that one teams up Ike and Sugimoto, if memory serves. Memory serves. Terrifying Girls High School Lynch Law Classroom, which is really fun. We should see the Erotomaniac Daimo. I'm down for that. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that is. I love the I love the title of the lustful Shogun and his twenty one concubines. That sounds amazing. That does sound amazing. Yeah, that really does. But I mean, really prolific filmmaker, man. I mean, he did a lot of really cool stuff in the seventies. Visually, he had a look. Yeah, Sex and Fury. He did. Um, he did fifty six films between sixty five and nineteen ninety. The Girl Boss Blues films. He did um, Shogun's Ninja with uh, Hiroyuki Sanada and Sunny Chiba. Nice. Just a good filmmaker, man. A really good filmmaker, making films on the cheap. Worked with Toei quite a bit. So, you know, good on him, man. He rest in peace. Good filmmaker. Um, but he teams up two of the icons. You know, a lot of people often talk about Miko Kaje, and she's worth talking about. I mean, she's, even for my money, pr- 
probably the queen bee, um, but I can see why some people would prefer Miki Sugimoto or Raiko Ike. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they both have their charms. Now, you know, if I can be crass for a moment, uh, Miki Sugimoto's always been my favorite of the three in terms of looks. I find her to be just fucking so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. God, she's beautiful. Um, whereas Raiko Ike's got more of that kind of ice blood in her veins, like Miko Kaji. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It can be cold, um, but uh, yeah, it's this funny. team's. It's funny in this film. There's a uh, there's a the the sub boss. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that uh, takes over for Nami when she's gone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what her the actress's name is, but she's fucking gorgeous too. Uh, yeah, I think it's Emmy Joe. She's got the little scar on her face. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Emmy Joe, I believe it is. Yeah. <clears throat> because you get a lot of crossover with a lot of these females. There is a stable of them that. That did, you know, pretty much all the films. And, you know, it was like a, yeah, about five or six of them that, that worked quite frequently. But Sugimoto Ike and. Um, well, you got to be pretty, uh, you got to be pretty free willing to do these films. I mean, there's a lot of nudity, uh, some <laughs> crass behavior, and some cruelty. Uh, big time. Big time. There is. There totally is. But we should say, yeah, you talked about this. One of the things I love about these films, and I still haven't looked at my notes yet, is I love the world that these films take place in because. We often talk with 80s slasher films about how there was a sort of innocence and not a naivety, but there's something kind of sweet and innocent about them despite the subject material. I feel like the same goes with these films. Um, there's something kind of sweet about these films despite them being exploitation. Like they don't feel like rampant fucking sleaze. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun, kind of as sweet as this material can be. Like they almost feel like they inhabit their own world in the way like a, like a superhero film would. Well, Dave, David Hess didn't get over to Japan, unfortunately. So, Yeah, he would have been like Godzilla, man, destroying everything. <laughs> yeah. Pissing on people. And they should have cast him in, uh, what's it called there, uh, Blind, uh, oh, blind Woman's Curse. What's the one with the dude? He's the masseuse. He's uh, a fucking slave. I can't remember. <laughs> it's really fucking sleazy. He's like a sculptor. He's got all the statues. That, that, oh, man. Did blind, we cover it? No. Is it Blind no. Beast? Blind Beast, Blind Beast. Yeah, I talked about it before, but I'd, I'd never seen it. You said we should do it sometime. Yeah, it's a good one, man. It's a good one. Yeah, he's a blind sculptor. Fuck, it's pretty sleazy. But they should have had... Uh, there's another good filmmaker, too, Yasuzo Masumura, but um, they should have had Hess as the leading Blind Beast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Masumura did Giants and Toys, which we've covered on the show, which is a very cool film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Going down that Japanese rabbit hole, man. <clears throat> um but yeah, I mean, you get you know you, when you get this film, which is featured one of many team ups uh, of sorts with Raiko Ike and Miki Sugimoto, and it's fun to see them on screen together, right? Because they really bring the the uh, the thunder. Um, <clears throat> what do we got here? Let me look at my notes now. Uh, I love that um, Japanese films, despite these films being kind of fun, pervy films. They there's a lot of female empowerment. You get tough chicks in these films, and it's not like I feel like we've moved backwards in some ways. Like behind the camera, we've moved forward inches when we should have moved ahead by miles by now. But I feel like there's just um, in the 30, 40, 40 plus years that have passed, we don't have anywhere near this amount of prolific kind of tough women films that we did forty years ago. How is that? 
I don't know. I don't know. Even in uh, you know genre circles and B movie circles, you don't really have it. I mean, you kind of. No. It seems like after Terminator Two, the the tough woman took on a different route. You know, it's too bad. It's it's really a shame. You and I were talking about underrepresentation the other night on the phone, and uh, gender underrepresentation is still alive and well, unfortunately. And it's a shame. You know, you go back forty years. Japan was very progressive. They would feature transvestites in their films, as we've talked about uh, with, you know, Funeral Parade of Roses and some other films that we're big fans of. And um, despite some of the material being, you know, kind of drive-in fare, there was still something to be said for this tough, capable gang of, of females that banded together and, you know, worked for with one another. Right? There's something very progressive about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love how audacious the film is. I mean, within like a few minutes... Within like the opening two minutes of the film, uh, Mickey Sugimoto takes off her top and she's got like a big dragon tattooed around her titty. Yeah, whip that titty out. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and uh, just so audacious, so audacious, man. Just the thing, too, that I always, and again, this isn't a perfect film, you know, as you'll hear with my score. We should, we should say both films open with some, this week open with some type of vehicular sexual harassment. <laughs> well, there's a number of common threads. There's that. Both films feature a Christmas handshake. Yeah. Someone gets their nuts squeezed. Both films, both films feature women with shaved heads getting nude. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if both films feature golden showers, do they? Uh, kind of. Remember, she has to get the uh, the condom out of the latrine. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So there's your, there's there's water sports, I guess, of sorts <laughs> in both. Even though I don't know in what culture you uh, leave the condom in the woman. Uh I guess I don't know. Uh, you know, because uh, she she passes the condom. That's uh, yeah. That's uh, I don't know. I don't know about that one, man. <laughs> that, that that's a, a bad move, as we like to say. Yeah, that is a bad move. Leave that thing floating around. Um, I like how they kind of bring it back to the guy later too, and throw it in his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Damn um, wet trout, there, bay. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Oof. Um, but I think that. Uh, both films, um, <laughs> well, no, I guess, well, kind of both films. But this film especially, you know, features really sexually empowered women, yeah, which I like. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the thing about this genre I do like. Uh, you know, the, the it can be seen as, you know, I guess you could say misogynistic in some regard, but not really because the women, are, you know, they're really just taking on the role that the men typically take on. So I think that it's... Yeah more feminist and than it is misogynistic i can see where somebody would come in and see it as kind of like these perverted films because they do feel that way at times i mean of course you know you got the gano scene in here there is some perversion the gano scene's a bit, ooh, a bit kinky man this is 72 like this is way ahead of the time and it's with a nun no less yeah i don't know if you want me to say so on the air but i thought of you immediately when i saw the gano scene <laughs> the gano scene oh yeah 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 that's right that's right yeah but uh anyway yeah. uh <laughs> We'll, we'll yeah, cross that bridge. We'll cross that bridge, man. <laughs> the, uh, the I think that you know there's the right amount of perversion here for that that type of fan, but there's also you know more under the surface. Uh, you know, it's it's it is basically you know if these were men and they were running around you know whipping their dicks out and stuff, it'd probably be even more misogynistic, really. It would be absolutely. Here's the here's what makes that me okay with all of this because the women call the shots. Yeah, the women control their sexuality. Yeah. Do women decide they want to show their bodies, they want to use their bodies as tools, they call their shots, 
they carve out their their paths. Mm-hmm. No man does. Nope. So I'm okay with it. Yep. Um, I think that's yeah. you know the thing. If if people have never seen this genre, <laughs> they're not I victims. Think, yeah, I think they'd see it. Because when I first started hearing about this genre, I thought, okay, well, this is basically softcore porn, but it is only in the sense of the perversion and the nudity. Um, it's actually more kind of female empowerment mixed with a little bit of softcore. Oh man, totally. Uh, it totally. It, it's crazy to me too. As a side note, Mickey Sugimoto goes from being the star of like the Zero Women Red Handcuffs film. Uh, to now, she's a nursery school teacher. Hey, you know, career trajectory, you never know where it's going to take you. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I feel like this is, I'm okay with this because I feel like she calls her own shots. The women all call their own shots, which um, goes a long way towards me being okay with what the women are doing on screen. Yep. Um, I talked about this being kind of like a, a comic book kind of world in a lot of ways with a very straight face. I've, I've always said this. Anytime we've talked about Japanese films, uh, biker films, I don't think anyone has the sneer swagger of Japanese biker gangs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they bring the swagger and the sneer like it's nobody's business. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. And they just have an energy, this kind of bouncy, kind of punk rocky kind of energy, which I really dig. Um,. I love, too, that uh, <laughs> I love with all these films, you know, certainly very much in that uh, a Japanese thing. But Suzuki gives all of the characters, like, hero shots in the film. Yeah, and he gives them all an introduction as to the depravity as well. Yeah. Like, uh, he shows all of them, you know, swindling and uh, doing whatnot. Some of them use sex. Some of them just fucking steal. Some of them... Uh, <laughs> Con. I mean, he gives you everybody kind of like it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie when he gives everybody kind of like a like a uh, intro. Yeah, totally, man. You got to get an ensemble. It, it's, yeah, it, yeah, you got to you got to introduce your ensemble, right? Because otherwise, the only ones that really stand out are going to be the leaders, and so they kind of introduce your ensemble here, and then of course you get the the ball headed nun later, which kind of adds to the the whole thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely, it does. Um, I shouldn't yeah, say ball headed. Should say shaved head because she's not technically ball headed. Yeah, shaved. She's got a shaved head. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that um, it does really help because you can't keep uh, Miki Sugimoto or Riku Ike on the screen all screen all the time. So yeah. it's good that you you're invested in these characters, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if things are going to happen to the characters, you become a little more invested in them, right? Which is certainly important. And. Uh, Man, there's such a fucking crass line in that that uh, gyno scene. <laughs> well, there's a few. The whole scene's kind of like wacky, eighty early '80s wacky sex comedy, gross. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, this this guy who's not even a real doctor. He's like a sham. <laughs> they, they, you know, any I guess they, they were looking for a way to cram like a perversion in there because, um, <laughs> they uh, the the doctor guy says he, he go he looks in between her legs and he looks up and he says you're bald up top. Super hairy down below. <laughs> yeah. I'm not into that. Yeah. He's like, keep it, keep it trimmed. Keep it trimmed. <laughs> Fucking doctor's advice, doctor's orders. Yeah, come to find <laughs> out he's not a doctor. He's just a pervert. So yeah, that's the other right, couple comes, he's like, you looked at my privates three times. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, my kid looks like you, all three of my kids. You know, which, yeah. which you, you step away from the film and it's like horrific Yes, horrific of course. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But in the context of the film, they they play it, and I think they play it relatively well. 
um, you know, kind of light, as lighthearted and humorous as it's an exploitation film. Fuck, that's what you're going to get, you know, but they play it as lighthearted as you can. Um, I think what's interesting, too, about this film is that it, 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 it entered an era when heroin and the drug trade became more prominent with organized crime. And you, there's talk about gangs breaking rules and their code to make money, which you saw the Italian mob struggle with. And, you know, a lot of the crime families struggle with um, going from sort of the old morals to the new. Because if you wanted to stay relevant, you had to start selling drugs and, and doing things that maybe you felt like were a bit unsafe or outside your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one was cat fights for days. Yeah, if you're into cat fights, got you covered. Yeah, the Zom. This is this is a film for Zom for sure. <laughs> uh. um, <clears throat> there's lots. The film. I mean, it almost has too many cat fights. I never thought I'd say that. Like, but <clears throat> to Suzuki's credit, he keeps things moving. Yes. There's rarely a dull moment. This that's the thing. This film has energy. It's always whizzing around and moving around. Um. I love kind of the romantic notion of regional loyalty in this. Like the, the women are happy to proclaim that they're from Kyoto or Shinjuku or Tokyo. I really like that. I really like that. Um, I love how all these films, whether it's, I think the girl boss, not the girl boss, the, um, the Lynchlaw classroom films, I think a couple of them feature like an intrepid hunky reporter. But I love how all these films have like a box cut Ken Takakura or Ubuntu Sugawara kind of straight-laced love interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, and how about uh, that Jeff Bridges against all odds beach scene, man? Oh, yeah. It's nice. Is that what it was, against all odds? Uh, yeah, there's a... Yeah, there's a that iconic lovemaking scene? Yeah. But the, the difference is... That kind of riff it, on from here to eternity, sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But the difference is in this one, man, they're on a beach that... That beach is straight rocks. I'll yeah. tell you what, I've walked, I've walked on like a rocky beach Yeah, and it's, it really hurts. Oh and yeah, it does. In this film, they're making love on the beach, man. Oh, it's Rachel Ward and Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel Ward. I love Rachel Ward. She's not a great actress, but she looks great. No, she's really, she's really good in a fun kind of, uh, American giallo. What's that one called? It's a called it's a classroom something or let me see what it's called. It's going to drive me nuts if I don't look. Night school. Oh yeah, night school. I know what you're talking about. It's kind of an interesting. Uh, oh no, no, no! It wasn't night school. I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, it was night school. Anyway, that's kind of a fun uh, American giallo. But um, anyway, that rocky beach love scene, man. Um, oh, I got to tell you too. There's a scene. There's like a, a bit of a gangbang, like an orderly gangbang. Sure. In a tent. In this, <laughs> yeah. man, who's happy with being like the fifth dude in? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you uh, what. I, I, I can only tell you the fifth dude in, I guess. The fifth dude in, I guess. But, man, I'll tell you what. Like, I, I want no part of that fucking cream pie. Yeah, some people, you know, well, I don't want to say some people. But, I mean, <laughs> the truth is, there's that's probably a fetish for somebody. Oh, of course it is. You know, to be the fifth, I shot, fifth guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people, not everybody wants to be, you know, even sloppy second, so to speak. To use yeah, the crass yeah. terminology they used to use, so <laughs> yeah. some people want to yeah. some people want to be <laughs> filthy fifth, you know. Hey, hey, like the Iron Sheik, I want to be number one. Yeah, yeah. Technically, I'd probably want to be number one as well. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. yeah, this could get weird. 
it's gonna get weird yeah but uh, and i do want to say uh, i forget it i'm just gonna let it go i'll let it go i'll let it go as well <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, let, I don't have let it, a, let it go elsa please yeah <laughs> i don't have a hard i don't want i just want to say you and i had mentioned in passing there was a reference in the review here I don't have a hardcore fixation on um, like speculums and things like that. <laughs> I gotta let that be known. <laughs> I don't want people to think, "Hey, I have my perversions," you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I don't exclusively fixate on uh, speculum porn or anything like that. Nice. You don't speculate on the speculum. Yeah, you don't speculate. Hey, that that should be. Uh, I should get that in the fortune cookie. I never speculate on the speculum. Uh. Um. <laughs> Each, they were bringing the sleaze, man. Mm-hmm. People wanted it. Sleazy summer. Uh, what does this say here? Oh, I'll tell you what, man. Ichiro, Miki Sugimoto's boyfriend in this, man, he waited too fucking long to give his first present to a girl. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. He did. You got to step it up there, Ichiro. You got to step it up, man. Um, I love that song that dude sings, like that like traveling singer. Oh, that's a, that's a Mar- – what's his name? Mario uh, Mori- Morito? Ah, oh, he's a singer, I think. Uh, Morio Agata. Oh, nice. Uh, he's an, uh, yeah, uh, that Asian folk star. <laughs> he was. He notes? looks like a Japanese kind of folk musician. Dad, right here in that song. But it's great. <laughs> love is love, and yet, what's the point? <laughs> yes, exactly. Is that at a funeral? I got a cat in the room uh, playing with a ball. Ooh, uh, Ooh. <laughs> and not mine. So. So, <laughs> Anal beads for days. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Those, that that new ovarian egg uh, porn or whatever that Man, is. What, see again, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Not my bag. <laughs> Not mine either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hey, I don't. Um, I don't judge. I don't judge. Nor do I. We all have our kinks, mm-hmm. and um, we all do. Uh, I love the revenge montage near the back end of the film where there's like the, the girls are beating down dudes with kendo sticks and there's oh man how about that uh, <laughs> the dummy that's dragged around face down on the bike they must have really been pleased with themselves with how good they felt like that dummy looked but <laughs> they thought it looked good that's right <laughs> they thought it looked good man they really mucked that footage <laughs> <laughs> yeah there needed to be a few cuts in there <laughs> There needed to be a few more cuts. She got dragged on the asphalt for a long time. Yeah. Um, I love the Sachiko, which is Miki Sugimoto's name. I love her vanity bracelet, like the shot at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, this is something you'd only hear, I feel like, from like a female biker gang, you know, written by a male at the time. They say, where are we going to go? And she says, Miki Sugimoto says, any way the wind blows, we'll follow our hearts. <laughs> so... It's great. And they I got news for you. The wind sense. doesn't blow out of your heart. We know where the wind blows oh, out of. Yeah. You know which way, and we know which way the fifth wind blows. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I don't think Emmy Joe is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, no? I think it's somebody else, but I don't remember her name in the movie. I don't remember the character's name. And I've been going, you're, ta- you're talking about the one that had the scar on her face. She was like the rival. Yeah. Well, yeah, she was, was like, the, the, like the substitute boss while, while uh, Rico Ike was out of town. You know, getting that that blue denim suit or whatever that blue uh, hot suit she wearing. It. She get that hot suit, yeah, man. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see your name on here. I mean, maybe uh, you know, I'm you know, I'm just looking around, obviously looking through all these names, but I don't recall her name on here. And I've gone I'll through, find it. yeah, I've gone through every one of these actresses and actors. And I'm like, oh yeah, so that's she's uh, Nami is a Suji Suji sister. So yeah, 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 okay. Well, I forgot Suji was a dude. That's Shotaro Hayashi. So <laughs> like, yeah. 
Uh, okay, is that all your notes? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Uh, like I said, I love the sub-boss. Very quick territory. I think what I like most about this film is, and I'll talk about it in MVTs and Make or Breaks, this thing is pacey, man. This thing just it moves. Totally it opens with some vehic- vehicular harassment, uh, fight scenes that by the time you're five to six or seven minutes in, they've already taken over Kyoto. <laughs> they uh, yeah. uh, they just keep moving, man. And it just keeps moving from there. Just, you know, one scene to the next, one one set piece to the next you'll be talking about. If it's not getting condoms out of latrines, it's uh, gynecological uh, escapades. It's uh, fucking... Uh, squeezing grandpa's balls it's uh oh yeah i mean everything you can think of is pretty much in here in a way so <laughs> i'll tell you what i love this film i couldn't hang this poster up with two boys in the house no it's no. a fucking intense poster this japanese one oh, it's yeah. even got like the japanese folk dude in the corner cross like <laughs> playing his guitar yeah and that's the safest thing in the poster right that's <laughs> the safest thing in the poster easily there's topless women with knives <laughs> fist fighting women topless biker women yeah. and my boys would fucking love this poster i cannot <laughs> yeah. hang this up for i can never hang this up man yeah you can never because when if, I, if they're teenagers and i have this hung up man their kid their friends are like girlfriend you think i'm some fucking perv yeah even when you're an, even when they're an adult they're going to come back and say hey we understand those uh, gynecological cookies on the computer now so yeah that's right <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, we got to delete those cookies. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pro tip from the GGTMC there. The soggy cookie. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, yeah, but it does tick all the boxes, like you said. For those that are into this kind of thing, it really ticks the boxes. Now, we got to tick box, tick the boxes. <laughs> I don't know what I just said. Ooh. I don't know. Tick the boxes. Tick, tick the boxes. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we should say that Nami at one point. She says uh, she's a loner, a drifter. She likes to do things alone. She's like Pee Wee Herman, man. She's like, you know, she's like explaining her scene like, <laughs> yeah. like Dottie, you know? <laughs> I'm a loner. Yeah. I'm a drifter. That's you know? right, man. But the movie is quick and dirty. Uh, not much exposition, which is the good stuff. I think if, when these films, when these kind of girl gang films, or even sometimes Yakuza films, which can get really, really detailed in dialogue and wheeling and dealing and things, I think when... Uh, these things are quick and dirty. They're they're a lot of fun. This movie's only uh, what eighty three minutes long, I think. And yeah, it's and yeah, and, and it really cuts to the chase on everything. There's no there's no real psychological explanation for anything. It's just done. Uh, we didn't even talk about the bandsaw violence, did we? Yeah. The, well, I mean, it, I, it, it, I don't I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't know if if we want to give it away. But yeah, there is a bandsaw in here. Uh, yeah, it's nice, nice. Uh, you know, there, there there are some emotional bits, right? I mean, you do have the folk singer singing the song to the character that passed away, and I mean, you know, it, it's kind of silly in a way, but it, it but there is some emotional investment. Oh, okay, uh, oh, that came out of nowhere. Sorry, thereby. Um, <laughs> uh, apologies to all those out here. It is uh, six twenty nine a.m. as I yawn. Uh, but yeah. I like this movie. I, again, I'm not real familiar with this genre, but this may be one of my favorites I've seen so far. Um, I really liked it quite a bit. This and uh, I liked S and M Hunter quite a bit. And there was something else we did a while back, I think. Well, of course, Female Scorpion. I like that too. But it's it's even though it is a pinky film, that's a little different in some ways. It's kind of Lady Snowbloodish. I don't think the- those films I feel like are about women a little bit older. This is like this feels very much like you know punk rocky, like Adolescent. late teen, early yeah. twenty year old yeah. women. Yeah, yeah. And I love Mickey Sugimoto. Fuck. <laughs> I, I love most of the girls in this. You know, I'm not really, uh, you know. No, you prefer, no. You're you're pretty even with Riku, Riku Ike and Mickey Sugimoto. You don't have a preference. I, uh, I wouldn't kick either out of uh, 
out of the Sammy Cat. Off the gynecological table? No, wouldn't you? <laughs> I wouldn't pull any either one out of the stirrups. Stirrups? You wouldn't pull either <laughs> one out of the stirrups? <laughs> That should be on the back of our next uh, GGTMC shirt. <laughs> the fucking, that is the hot, the MVP of the sleeves right there, man. What a line. That's amazing. Oh, man. So anyway, yeah, but the, I, I, you know, I, I thought all the girls were attractive. They're all cool, man. They're yeah. Cool. Even the one with the shaved head. Yeah, yeah. I like the one. I like both of them with the shaved cool. head. There's two shaved head girls in this. Yes, there is. Uh, at first, I thought the one shaved head was like doing something with the, the person to set him up, and then I realized that was his like one of his concubines or something. And uh, yeah, that's the one he left the condom in. So the latrine was disgusting too. It had that used toilet paper in there. It was nasty. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> just nasty enough, right? So dirty and hot, nasty and hot, as they say. Yeah, nasty and hot, man. Um, the further down the latrine you went, the better it got. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know who that actress was. It's going to drive. Fuck! I thought I found her. She's hard to find. Man. Yeah, it's it's going to drive me crazy too. I'll find her. Yeah, she is. Uh, I liked them all though. I, I liked them all quite a bit, and I think that that has a lot of the appeal. Is that the film? This film has the 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 characters all have a bit of a charisma. Some of the sometimes when these films, a lot of them are just you know throwaway characters. But well, when you get a true ensemble, yeah, the Red Helmet Gang and this is fun. They're totally fun. Yeah, you want to you want to actually spend more time with them. It's a shame you don't really. I, I like. I didn't like. I mean, I didn't mind some of the other stuff. Uh, obviously, you got to have the you know the yakuza element in there and that kind of stuff. But those guys were so boring compared to the Red Helmet Gang. It That's was true. it was almost it was almost unfair. You know, it was kind of ridiculous. And there is some. Uh, we should say there is some S and M in here for those who are into that. We'll. Uh, We'll something for everyone, man. Yeah. Shaved-headed chicks, uh, yeah. gangbangs, golden showers, uh, dino porn. I mean, it's got something for everyone. <laughs> it's got it all. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do make or break here in VTs. Make or break? I'm going to go with the opening, man. Like It opens, and there's yeah. topless like yeah. biker women with tattoos on their tits fighting like in the first two minutes of the film. We should clarify. It's only the left tit. Yes. Well, there's even a... a an initiation tattoo sequence. Yeah, you even and yeah. It, if you're into that, you even get a tattooed titty scene. So yeah, there's lots of close-ups of those nipples, man. Yeah, I know what uh, Mickey Sugimoto's cocoa puffs look like, man. <laughs> I'm cuckoo for those cocoa puffs. Yeah, um, you're that, and I'm sassy for those stirrups, there, buddy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, we brought the sleeves. This is good. We we brought the sleeves for this episode. Don't listen at work. I guess if I if you hear me saying this, it's too late for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the unemployment line, we're sorry that you listened to the <laughs> yeah. episode of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, MVT, man, you know, I could go with the girls because I love the girls in this. But I'm going to go with Suzuki because I've well, seen You some... love her, right? Oh, no, you're, not, I'm talking, you're talking about the director. I thought you were talking about um, the Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about... Uh, you love him. I, I love him. <laughs> exactly. You'd like, with... you like to get him some stirrups, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh. you got to relax that prolapse. <laughs> Um, find that drug out for him there. You got to find that out, man. He's got to move that tea bag out of the way. <laughs> He's got to get that. Uh, yeah, man. I'm trying to think of a word that rhymes with Tatley. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I, I really think that uh, Suzuki does a good, a great job of keeping this film pacey and fun and rompy. And he is a pro filmmaker one of the most underrated of the genre filmmakers over the 70s you know did a number of kind of fun 
Fuck, man. I'm already up. Wait, is this nice. going off? Damn, he did right. a number of those. He like harps in the morning. That, like harps. That stirrup like the, soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I like to ease into the, the stirrups with some harps, man. That or some that are some Zamfir flutes kind of ease me into it. <laughs> oh, oh shit, I'm gonna piss on myself. I'm live and sore. Oh, nice. <laughs> Too much coffee. Oh, well, sometimes, you know, so on occasion, Wednesdays are usually Glockenspiel Wednesdays, so <laughs> Oh man! Oh, oh man! Fuck, I but I'm gonna go Suzuki. Oh man! Woodwinds, string section. Like to mix it up, man. Ooh. Oh, I had turned uh, down, man. I think I was starting to snort a little bit there. <laughs> it was getting a little out of control. Oh man! If this is a video podcast, you'd think I was talking about something emotional, man. I'm crying so hard over here. <laughs> oh man. But uh, yeah, I could go with the girls. Like I said, they're all fun. They all—they're all bringing energy. No one, like none of the girls, feel like they're mailing it in. They all bring it, and I have to say, I feel like that's Suzuki because he's bringing everyone up. You know yeah. what I mean? He's getting yeah. them all to to run at the level they need to run at. And my score is a seven point two five. You know, nice, I don't nice. think it's—it's it's a great film, but I think it's—it's it's a good, fun film. This is and this is the kind of film that's—it's very rewatchable. Like. You could throw this on every four or five years. It'll make me smile. It'll entertain me. It's not reinventing the wheel, but considering these pictures were made to kind of be a little bit kind of risque and fun, and this this is Japanese exploitation film of the seventies at the time. Yeah, you know, it works just fine. Just don't watch it work. Yeah. So yes, and don't watch on your phone on the bus. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it depends correct. on the kind of people you ride with. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty much so agree What kind of bus, man? What's that one bus? The, uh, <laughs> the Groper <man>? bus? <laughs> the Groper bus? Or Groper train? Curse the Black Pearl, I think. Oh, Lord. Groper train. We're really uh, kind of letting, we're really opening the closet of the GGTMC this week. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, we got that that, that uh, audio speculum out, man. We yeah. just uh, opened it up. And- it's only a matter of time before we start talking about incest porn. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, make or break for me. I agree with you. The opening is pretty great. And it, it and there's a lot of great scenes in the film. I liked the gynecological scene. I liked uh, it was funny and disgusting all at the same time. Yes. Uh, I liked a lot of the scenes. Uh, I like the initiation scene. Uh, not that I'm into oh, yeah. that kind of thing, but I, I like the, the way that they kind of go about it. Um uh, I like when the nun steals the motorbike too. It's hilarious. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, I liked quite a bit of that stuff. Uh, but the, I'll just go with the opening because if you if you dig the opening, you're going to dig everything that comes after it, right? So, um, and if you dig breast, you're really going to dig this movie because there's a lot of this there's a, a film. there's a lot of breast in this film. A lot of cat fights. A lot of breast. A lot of both uh, films have a lot of nudity this week. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, <clears throat> one of them handles it. <laughs> A little less sleazy than the other in an odd way. Yes. I didn't think it'd be this one. Yes. Uh, MVT for me is the pacing of this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe it's a bit of a cheat. Uh, but I could go with anything, though. I could go with the the actresses or even Suzuki. I agree. I haven't seen enough material to make that judgment for me. Um, but I quite like this quite a bit. This is probably, if somebody was going to ask me, somebody that's inexperienced with Pinky Violence films like me, if they was to ask me, about the genre, I'd probably steer them right toward this. This is a pretty good uh, appetizer. Good jump off point. Yeah, yeah, good nice doorway to get into it. So, or any kind of gateway. Uh, there's a uh, yes. there's a dirty pun there too. Sure is. Uh, all right, we're gonna get out of this review before you know I piss myself from laughter and everything else. Uh, That's right. And get into 
Somebody that doesn't mind pissing himself. Uh, we're going to no, talk about in the pool. <laughs> in a piss in the punch bowl. <laughs> we're going to come back and talk about the house on the edge of the park uh, from 1980. Uh, we'll and, be and dad bod. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. The following message is a paid advertisement for the Cult of Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle. You're either in it or you're dead. It's the dawning of a new age. The halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk. Their past glory is a distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma-strong grips. The beards shorn from their square jaws only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad, puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops, as we bellow it from iTunes and Libsyn and Facebook. It's time to join the cult, my brothers. So don your cloaks and enter the cult of muscle. Uh, gynecologist singing there when he looked down there. Man, I was going to say that nun had a woolly bully. That song kind of started in this house as uh, me playing it on guitar, walking around the house, and uh, kind of became a thing. So that's a fun one. I feel like that's a song that kids would gravitate. You were t- we were talking about that earlier, but certain songs are kind of fun for kids. Or like another one that uh, is big in our house for the kids when we play it is "Land of a Thousand Dances." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Even the. Uh, the WWF version of that's pretty good. <laughs> Man, I love that. I used to have that album. It's like that was a gatefold. Is that the term? The gatefold? Yeah, kind of the gatefold covered. Yeah. And I wish I could find that because I, I had I used to play it and look at the cover and see something new all the time because there's so many wrestlers doing so much shit in that <laughs> album cover. Yeah, no. <clears throat> <clears throat> the old memories there. Um, okay, so our next film is House on the Edge of the Park. Uh, do you want to synopsize? You want me to synopsize? Uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely synopsize. I fucking closed the synopsis, but I'm happy to synopsize. <laughs> nice. Um, so House on the Edge of the Park, uh, directed by a man who surprisingly we, we haven't featured on the show as much as um, you would have thought that we would have uh, at this point. Uh, Ruggiero Diodato. And uh, I guess I'll just read the uh, – man, what the fuck's going on? Oh, stupid unfriended ad popping up on my <laughs> – IMDb. I got um, I got frozen pictures on mine and, and Disney favorite shorts. That, that the Blu-ray looks pretty good. That's got some good shorts on it. 
Oh, does it's it? Got that got that uh, that dog one, that, that food one. That uh, I can't remember what the name of it was. That dog short where he's eating the food or whatever. I, I can't remember what it's called. Excuse me for those Disney fans out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, exactly the purists. Um, so, man, I fucking grind it into neutral here. Two low life punks invite themselves to a party at a posh villa. And after being taunted by their snobbish hosts, hold everyone hostage and subject them to various forms of torture and mayhem. Yes. <clears throat> so, <laughs> we had both seen this film. Uh, let's hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, we talked about it before. I hadn't seen it in a long time, but uh, you had talked about it. I think you had just seen it, or what, not a while back, like when we first started the show, maybe? No, no, uh, before that. For that? Yeah, okay. I but probably, re- I'd only rewatch. seen it for the first time, mind you, about 10. There you go. 10 or 11 years ago. I think it was a rewatch you did not too long ago. It was, I might have done a rewatch. I, or maybe, you know, maybe what it was is I talked to, because I talk about it quite a bit. Whenever Last House on the Left comes up, I always talk about this and Night Train Murders as being superior. So yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe that's where it is. <clears throat> uh, maybe, maybe that's what it is. But yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel like you may have watched it again. Then you may have brought that up on the show that you you much prefer it to Last House on the Left. I don't know. Maybe I'm going crazy. Who knows? Um. Yeah, Ruggiero Diodato. We haven't. You're right. We don't talk about him a whole lot on the show. We've only done uh, maybe Raiders of Atlantis. Right? Is that all we've done? And uh, the Barbarians? Did he? No, he didn't do the Barbarians. Did he do the Barbarians? I thought he did do the Barbarians, didn't he? I think he did do the Barbarians. Well, yeah, he did do the Barbarians. There we go. So we've only done uh, Raiders of Atlantis, the Roger Franklin joint in the U.S. credits, and uh, the Barbarians. Roger Franklin. <laughs> Roger Franklin. But he does have some quite fun films in his uh, resume, to say the least. Uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, which we haven't done, but I'm sure we will at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, body Count. Uh, there's some other Cut stuff. Cut and Run. Yeah. You did The Washing Machine not too long ago. so Which is a fun late cycle Italian horror film, man. Yeah. Or like a giallo. And he's still working a little bit. He's got a short out there now. Uh, I think he's trying to get some cannibal stuff off the ground, maybe. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I kind of... I know why he would kind of go back to that. It's really because, really, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Diodato is infamously known for Cannibal Holocaust. So, for better or worse, oh man, he did a few films early on in his career. He did a, a few Egyptian or like kind of one called Gungala, the Black Panther Girl. Yeah, as Roger Rockefeller. <laughs> Roger Rockefeller. It's a great and name. And then also did one called Phenomenal and the Treasure of Tutankhamun <laughs> as Roger Rockefeller. But yeah, for better or worse, I guess he is known as uh, the director of, uh, of yeah. this. I got to say, I had the chance to meet Diodato. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I had of spent more time. I talked to him for a few minutes, but his English wasn't the greatest. Yeah. Uh, at the time, and still, my Italian wouldn't be enough to carry on more than a three or four word sentence. But um, it's too bad because he was really nice, and he's he's like Mart- he's like Martino. He's aged well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he worked with Corbucci in the beginning a lot. I uh, know he was uh, Corbucci's assistant director quite a bit. So for those who don't know, he worked on like Django and Navajo Joe and Hellbenders and stuff like that. So you know, he he has some pedigree. You know, he's acted a bit, shown up in. Uh, Infamously, rather infamously, I think in Hostile Part Two, playing the Italian cannibal. <laughs> yeah, hey, have you ever seen Waves of Lust? His film, I've never seen it. And I, I rarely put it out. I've always meant to. No, um, uh, anything before Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, I have not seen. And 
a good portion of things after live like a cop die like a man i'm looking through here there's a good portion of shit i haven't seen of his dial help i don't think i've seen uh the lone runner i've seen that's the uh miles o'keefe one i've seen that one because i went through a miles o'keefe phase which was uh didn't we all (laughs) uh i never saw dial help which nor have i phantom of death although i do love charlotte lewis surprised i haven't watched that phantom of death i've seen i believe that is uh michael york yeah yeah, that's uh, kind of a take on... Uh, I'd have seen that. Oh, yeah, I think I have seen that. That's kind of a... T- it's got some really bad makeup uh, from Michael York playing it, but it's kind of like a Dorian Gray kind of, you know, type of deal. It's got a great scene of Donald Pleasant's run through the street going, You bastard! You it's bastard! Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Man, that Lone Runner poster is really bringing the O'Keefe thunder, isn't <laughs> oh, it? It does, man. It's if so only the O'Keefe. movie was as good as that poster. <laughs> so be warned if you go there. Uh, Fuck. I like this title. This mom, I can do it. A young boy is forced to join a group of street urchins after his mother is wrongfully arrested for smuggling, in which he tries to find the real culprit. Oh so, wow, that's ninety two. Yeah, that is. That's late, late cycle. Italian Interesting genre film. Chris Masterson's the star of that. Interesting. I think he was on Malcolm in the Middle or some shit. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so Diodato, uh nineteen eighty was a crazy year for him. He was in a lot of controversy, and he made. Arguably two of the sleaziest movies of the Italian cycle in the yes. same year. So he really brought the thunder that year. Uh, this movie's kind of interesting. It, the way it opens, it almost opens. Of course, it opens with that Sweetly song. We've played that before on the show in the years past. See, I think that's why I think you watched it during again during the cycle of the show because you threw Sweetly at me again. And we put it oh, on the okay. show one time. And I think you had a rewatch. But, it, it, but man, that, that has to be like six years ago. Like, I oh, think we've definitely. only been doing the show like what going on seven. This is the seven. This is seven. Yeah, because it's basically a little, just a little bit older than my son William, who will be seven in October. So I think that, we started uh, in August. Yeah. We this like our seventh anniversary just passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. Seventh heaven with vanity. Yeah, but I remember because the it se- had to. I know the, the seventh stirrup. Even yeah, there we go. The seventh stirrup. Yeah, no, <laughs> this because I remember I bought this DVD at a room a room org show. Like it had to be ten years ago. Yeah, this doesn't release. have a Blu-ray release, but I think it's actually getting one. It deserves one. Yeah, I think it's getting one, actually. I think uh, Both of the films this week deserve Blu-ray releases. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Pinky Violent stuff definitely gets a Blu-ray release at some point. But I'm, uh, I mean, I'm going to look at that up real quick while I'm talking. Um, but this, uh, this one kind of opens with the traffic. It, it has that song, but it kind of opens with the traffic. Almost like a soundtrack. The the horns and the traffic almost sound like this weird kind of like out of tune music. Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. strange, and uh, it works actually. Yeah, it looks like I think it just got a Blu-ray release, right? Was it Code Red? No. Uh, sorry, I'm kind of doing this as, okay. as we as we go along here. Uh, it says it's be pre-ordered, so yeah, it is coming out on Blu-ray in the states. I don't know who's releasing it exactly, so apologies there, but it is definitely coming out. I think it might be out on Blu-ray across the pond, though. So, anyway, there you go. But it is getting a Blu-ray release this year, this year it looks like, maybe. So, Oh, yeah, Code Red. Code Red's going to put out a Blu-ray of it. So, there you go. I don't know what that'll look like, but we'll see. I might pick that up, depending on the special features and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like the kind of unsettling opening with the traffic. It almost feels like film score. And of course you get, 
uh, David Hess, and that's his. Uh, supposedly, that's his wife. Uh, it was his real wife at the time, the, the mother of his daughter. Who um, I know in the in the subsequent years, he's been a bit uncomfortable mentioning that because you know he rapes his his real wife. Uh, yeah. Well, David, David Hess is an interesting actor because here's an actor who really, uh, you know, he has the the tough guy looks, the uh, the heavy looks. He's uh, not a, well, I'll say this. He's not a typically or stereotypically attractive man. Some people will yeah. find him uh, handsome, I'm sure, and, and that's fine. But, you know, the, he, the truth is he, he looks the character he plays uh, a lot yes. of times. And he got pigeonholed quick. And uh, I think, you know, with Last House, the, one of the things with Last House on the left is it it really kind of nailed down. It's, it's one of those films that can make or break an actor and, like, either ruin their career or uh, maybe that's all they end up doing. Um, I think of Camille Keaton and uh, I Spit on Your Grave. I think of uh, oh, big time. Uh, several actors who we've talked about in the past who make these kind of movies and kind of whether they're powerful or whether they're just sleazy and terrible or whatever the notoriety are. or yeah. the pop cultural references too heavy for them to break out of yeah or even diodato making cannibal holocaust i mean it kind of made him but it also kind of broke him at yeah. the same time you know it yeah. might have been the the peak of his powers i don't know if this was made after or before because uh, they both released the same year but uh, and i know these were sold as a package deal internationally like uh, you got cannibal holocaust and this together yeah this has got a great. I should say this has got a great poster, by the way. I've always loved the poster. It's it's one of my all time favorite posters. Yeah. I love the poster for this. Love the trees and the eyes. That, that's that's nice. It's a great great touch. Doesn't yeah. really have anything to do with a uh, kind of a specterish type bone character, but no. <laughs> but it, no. it's a great. It, anything could happen. Everything did. Oh yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Hess. You know, he's kind of personified as this kind of uh, sleazy rapist uh, type character, and you know what. Uh, he he knows how to do that. Uh, he does that well. Uh, as awful as that is to say, he, he was always very good at that, playing this kind of slimy, sleazy character. Maybe one of the great sleazy actors of of uh, uh, definitely of the seventies, but certainly of I, his generation. I would say he has to go in the Mount Rushmore. Uh, who else played sleazy with as much glee and style as him? The only person I can think of is Eastman. Yeah, and Eastman did it with you know Eastman just did it so much. Uh, Hess didn't do it quite as much as Eastman did, but I mean, they both did it and they both kind of typified that type of behavior, this kind of rapist, nasty, depraved kind of behavior. We should say, I mean, it's sort of common knowledge, I think, for a lot of fans. We should say, too, you know, David Hess died, heart attack in October of 2011. Oh, man, he died on Braden's birthday. Mm. It's a bummer. But um, he, uh, for those that don't know, pretty. Pretty interesting if you look at his, you know, biography. You know, he wrote uh, "All Shook Up." Yeah, it's it's crazy for Elvis. I always I mean, think it's about so that. Crazy, <laughs> like it's so crazy. You know, some Conway Twitty songs, Andy Williams. I mean, he was a pretty popular songwriter. Yeah, yeah, he's a good songwriter. I mean, he was. Yeah. Interesting. I've always found that very interesting. Oh man. Uh, so not to to railroad in, but. Um, did he do a film with Fassbender? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he did or not. Maybe. And he must be fucking real sleazy if he did a Fassbender. <laughs> I'd love to see what he does in that. Yeah. He actually, he wrote, uh, for those who don't know, he wrote Speedy Gonzalez as well for uh, Pat Boone. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, he, he wrote a lot of songs that you'd be surprised you know. Uh, quite a few Elvis songs. Uh, oh, yeah. Sandcastles and uh, Come Along. 
Well, I think I got stung too, which is in Frankie and Johnny. So, I mean, he did quite a bit of uh, Elvis stuff, but uh, most notoriously, All Shook Up, which I think is a, uh, you know, obviously that's a song everybody knows. Even if you don't listen to Elvis or even if you don't even really care for music and stuff, you've probably heard All Shook Up. So think about that for a moment. I mean, this guy's, he did uh, he did quite a bit, did quite a bit of stuff. But it's interesting to think about the songwriter. Yeah, it looks like he, well, he wrote English language scripts for Fastbender. I know oh, maybe he, that's what it was. He wrote he wrote some. Uh, I know he he rewrote all his di- most of all his dialogue in this, and he got half the rights to the movie because he didn't really want to do it. He told them he wasn't going to. Was it half? I know he got at least at least ten or twenty percent because he says in the interview he says I wasn't going to do this film unless they gave me X percent of the American. Uh, yeah, I believe it was half. Supposedly rights. it was half. So I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you for sure if it. Well, was Well, he's going to tell you half. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, he was a storyteller, so some of the stuff he's he may have very said. Much was a storyteller, yeah, yeah, he he may have, you know, may not have been completely correct. Um, but anyway, either way, he uh he did the voice for Michael Const- Oh, he he was in Cold Sweat. His first credit, uncredited, was a Charles Bronson movie. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, oh, he did an episode of Night Rider, Swamp Thing, yeah, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing, yeah. Swamp Thing he's cool in. He's he's kind of a sleazy uh <laughs> uh kind of a mercenary type and stuff but uh his hair he was in back. he was in avalanche express which i've never seen i've always meant to because of the cast yeah i have avalanche express actually i've never seen either but i've wanted to cover it at some point because, we uh, should it's a fun thing i mean it's got so many like favorites of ours in the cast well, yeah i think it's directed by mark Robeson, but i think um i think yeah i just clicked on it yeah monty hellman stepped in and did some work on it as well it'd be interesting to talk about it's got claudio castanelli it's got him it's got robert shaw Fucking Joe Namath. <laughs> Joe Namath. Yeah, man. Be fun. <laughs> Fucking Joe Namath. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah. So he gets, you know, writes some of the stuff here. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, he does give his character a lot to say and a lot to do. He's a lot of fun in the movie. Uh, he's definitely bringing it. I mean, he knows he's the, he's the star. Uh, I think he knows that. You can tell yeah. completely that he knows he's the star. Uh, this film now this is actually the we should say also the uh well it's not the film debut but it kind of is in some ways because he did city of the living dead as well but this is giovanni well he, Radice. Yeah, I think he was, it was his first film i think this yeah. was his first film well he did cannibal apocalypse city of the living dead house of the edges park all in 1980 and then of course he was in he because he was john morgan and uh cannibal ferox the first thing i saw him in was cannibal ferox I think he said though on the disc this was his actual first first film he shot. Like mm-hmm. they may have all come out the same year, but this was the first film he shot. Can yeah. you believe he's still making films today? Yeah, he's still working. Uh and including one called Flesh Mannequins, <laughs> totally uncut. Yeah. Yeah, he was in Violent Shit, the movie, which has kind of gotten some festival buzz for being exactly what it says. And uh, you know, he if he's you working. Yeah, if you know Italian film of the eighties, you've seen Giovanni Lombardo Ricci, uh, Ridici, not Ricci, Ridici. Trust me, you've seen him. Uh, he did Gangs of New York. Yeah, man, Gangs of New York is interesting because if you really look, there is a quite a uh, What's his name's in that as well? Uh, oh, he just uh, Gemma's in that as well. That's crazy. It's that's uh, Martin Scorsese showing his genre love. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was shooting in Italy, so I guess he probably said, "Hey, we need some actors." But mm. knowing him, he probably does. He, you know, no one. Uh, Barbara Boucher's in that as well. I didn't know that. <laughs> Nor did I. Fuck, I gotta go back, back and, and watch it. I gotta go back and watch that. Yeah. Maybe we ought to review that at some point. I'd like to talk about it. I never really talked about it with anybody. 
<clears throat> outside of talking about the performances. Yeah, it'd be it'd be an interesting one, I think, to talk about. It's not a perfect film, but it's got one for the ages performance as well as some oh, other yeah. solid performances. Yeah, certainly. It's not it's not my favorite Martin Scorsese film, but it does have a performance for the ages. I'm looking through here to see if there's anybody else that we may have overlooked over the years. Anyway, um, geez, man. <laughs> yeah, it was he popped up in there. I think he would have stood out maybe. Uh yeah. next to Liam Neeson, maybe. Um so yeah, he's in the film as well, uh, and then we get a few other actors as well. The uh, actress from uh, uh, what was it, Wild Beast? We did, right? Lorraine DeSalle, who I'm a big fan of. Lorraine DeSalle, yeah, who's kind of like a kind of sleazier, kind of maybe sexier Joe Beth Williams like type for me. You know, who she's always reminded me of is kind of like a sleazy, cold, aloof Parker Posey. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we get a pretty fun score from uh, Riz, and uh, it's got a nice. Yeah. This is this movie. Uh, watching it this time, I, I, I got to. I'll talk about the score some more here in a little while. But uh, yeah, we got some fun characters in this. Uh, Brigitte Petrini, Petronio, who maybe suffers some of the worst. And uh, yeah, anyway, we'll get we'll get into it. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so we we've talked about Italian cinema over the years quite a bit, and uh, you know they they always well at least for me. It seems to me, I know some people prefer their sleaze to come out of Asia and stuff, but I think, for me, the Italians always did it the best. See, it's an interesting episode for us this week because we cover, I think, the two countries that do do it the best. Yeah, yeah, there's certainly, yeah, there's certainly the two countries that people talk about. Usually if you're into Italian sleaze, then you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, well, yeah, but Japan. And then if you're into Japanese sleaze, somebody will say, oh, yeah, but, but Italy. Yeah, uh, it's so it, those it, are the two I think the big ones that do it best because they combined art with their sleeves yes. better than anyone yeah. because of their their uh, cultural and artistic histories of those countries and the reverence they had for for the arts. I feel like um, really lent themselves to even genre film consciously or subconsciously, as I've said before. Exactly. Uh, the uh, in this film, the sleeves is is. Well, it doesn't take long for it to show up. Obviously, it shows up pretty quickly with uh, opening minutes. Yeah, yeah, the opening minutes and kind of establishes our uh, our lead uh, very quickly. Not that you didn't need, not that you needed David Hess to be established uh, too quickly. <laughs> Seeing his name in the credits, is, <laughs> yeah. he's established. Um, but uh, it kind of shows up pretty quick, and then it kind of dies down for a little while. Uh, but it does, you know, of course this is a different era. You know, you get people who have some car trouble, very movie like moment where people have some car trouble. They pull into a mechanic shop. Uh, they can't get, they get the car fixed real quick. And then they said, Hey, we're going to bring these mechanics to the party. And, uh, of course, you know, that this is a different era, obviously, but there, there might be some other things underlying going on there. Um, you know, we get to the party, uh, again, they're like bulls in the China shop, uh, Hess to the more aggressive kind of stable confident type of bull in the china shop whereas uh ricky the giovanni lombardo ricci radici i keep saying ricci motherfucker uh radici <laughs> uh character is more of a kind of a clumsy kind of social uh, socially awkward uh type uh, maybe maybe sexually confused certainly dancing confused uh, oh man i'll tell you what <laughs> uh, christian the, crispin glover's got nothing on the bad dancing no, of no. giovanni lombardo radici he does not he does not because the, it's weird you know the, the radici character as i said to <laughs> i feel like he he always plays characters that you know are slightly mentally challenged that have a childlike quality to them slightly effeminate 
awkward, confused, and they always seem to get it real bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's City of the Living Dead or something else, because um, he gets the drill through his head in that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, his dancing in this, <laughs> and it's funny because Sean Casper said, "Do you prefer Radice's dancing in this or Ed Harris and Creep Show?" And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they're both bad. They're both bad. But this is worse. I think this is. I think this is the most awkward. Yeah. Like embarrassing. Like I got chills from embarrassment. Yeah. Well, this is bad because it's not so only bad. not only is he really embarrassing, but Lorraine Lorraine oh. DeSalle tries to like not make you embarrassing, and in the process, she comes off embarrassing as well. It, it's it's just terrible dancing. And, I mean, and you look and you look at Hess, and Hess is so fucking embarrassed. <laughs> You imagine being Hess in that moment as that character. It's yeah. like, dude, fucking put the squash on that now. And the other thing you is, got here. You're embarrassing us. The other thing about that is, is the Diodato. Like, I mean, it's almost like the entire track. I mean, they really good. <laughs> it's really like a minute and a half to two minutes of bad dancing. It's not oh, like it's a, not. Yeah, it's not like ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he really hangs him up to dry. He, he takes really off does. his clothes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's dancing in his underwear. He just met these people, man. <laughs> yeah. He really, he really just kind of, you know, the filter's gone. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the film is uh, nasty in spirit. Uh, there, there, there's definitely some primordial kind of wish fulfillment in here that yeah. I kind of noticed this time. Maybe it maligned the film a little bit upon release. I mean, certainly the film. I remember reading about this film quite a bit, and I remember some people hated it because, um they felt it was just cruel for cruelty's sake. Um, I disagree. Yeah. I don't think it's cruel for cruelty's sake. I, it's certainly cruel, um, yes. but it, it, it kind of sets itself up as that. I don't think it's <clears throat> like, um, well, I don't think it's like cannibal Ferox, for instance, which is cruel for cruelty's sake. Yeah. Uh, cannibal Holocaust, maybe a little differently because uh, there is a social commentary there Absolutely. and there's a little bit of one here as well. So. There is, there's class tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a class issue here. So the big time there's a class issue here. So and I think too, this ahead. is also taking, sorry, this is taking a genre or a subgenre, or this is taking a moment in time with last house on the left and the expectations we have, not even, I guess in horror movies in the whole, this is taking the intelligence and actions or inactions of genre movie characters and what we expect them to do and really turning it on its ear when there's a reveal at the back end of the film. Yes. Yes. Which I, the first time I saw this, it struck me. I was like, I don't, I don't want to say too much here because I, I feel like I'll spoil things, but yeah, because I, like, I, fuck, I think some people, on. yeah, I think some people have seen this. Um, but I don't think it's over. Like I don't think it's like overly seen. So I, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything either because you know it's not like Last House on the Left. Last House on the Left was uh, kind of seminal, so everybody kind of pursued it. Mm-hmm. And plus, I got a DVD release kind of early in the DVD cycle. I remember that DVD came out pretty quick, which I was always surprised by that they actually released that so quickly. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, back on point here. Uh, Hess. There, oh, they should say there is a cut version of this out there. So beware. If you want to see the uncut version, it's about 91 to 92 minutes long. The uncut version is is under 80 minutes. So if you're under 80 minutes, chances are you're seeing the uncut version. You mean cut, the cut version? Yeah, the cut version, I mean. Uh, Mine's so, 91 minutes, the Streak Show disc. Yeah. And this is, uh, for those who don't have the disc and are waiting for the blue or whatever and you want to watch it, you can watch it on Daily Motion uh, uncut. So, yeah. Um, it is there. Um, the wonders of the internet never cease to amaze me. Uh, Hess doesn't have a very strong dropkick game. 
<laughs> that might be the worst drop kick in the history of cinema. Yeah. That, that's a it's bad one, bad. man. That's a ba- yeah, that's a bad drop kick. <laughs> I mean, the golden shower that comes after, he does have a strong golden shower game. We know this. And I'm, I'm glad that he was hydrated because his piss was clear. Yes. I don't know why I'm always worried about that when I see someone your name. I'm like, eh, at least he's hydrated. Yeah. I guess because I'm always watching my own stream to make sure I'm hydrated. Like well, I yeah. always have water everywhere with me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you, know, you, need to, you need to make sure you pay attention to your drop kicks as well, though. You do. It's important to, you know, not only be hydrated, sure. but make sure your drop kicks are strong. You diversify that. <laughs> you never uh, know when you might need to whip out the drop kick. Yeah, you know, whip something out. Typically, it's the '80s, so whenever there's a swimming pool nearby, you always need to have be wary of the drop kick. So, bring a change of clothes if you're you find yourself in the film in the '80s. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into the angle here. Let's get into the film. This is most compared to. This is obviously compared to Last House on the Left, and it is a bit of an exploitation on that film. I mean, it's obvious that the Italians were kind of going for that. They cast Hess. Uh, they're 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 going for an angle on that. They they. There are different story elements uh, yes. to, to both films. This film plays it more. It, well, we'll just say this: it, this is this film has one tone all the way through. Last House does have the the tone that uh, some don't like, including yourself, and that the wacky the, Keystone Cops. Yeah, it has the weird mix at the at the end toward the end of the film. I think that for me, the reason why I know you like this one over Last House, I like Last House over this one, and I'll tell you why. For me the the vengeance and rage of last house comes from the loss of innocence for me in this one because nobody is completely innocent it That's does right. it doesn't really there's no real for me i you know for me i have no catharsis, feelings there's no catharsis yeah there's no cathartic uh release uh not saying that if i'm in the situation that the parents in last house are in that i would go to those lit, go to those extremes but i don't know I don't I know. Would. And yeah, I see. I mean, I don't know. I, d- I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't. Well, first Who of all, knows until they're in the position. Yeah, let's, let's, let's just say, let's hope nobody ever gets in that position. Let's okay? hope so, no one ever has to. Yeah. So we know the chainsaw. We don't want to, you know, you don't want to deal with that side of human nature. I mean, because that gets into the whole thing of, like I said, the primordial kind of, yeah. you know, need for revenge or not only that, but just the, the inherent nature that man is a violent animal. Uh, beast, we yeah. choose not to be violent, actually, and as opposed to, you know, in, it's in our nature definitely to be choose violent. Choose to, to keep our impulses yeah. in check. Well, I mean, that's the difference between us and criminal behavior, right? Criminal behavior is basically somebody who doesn't have that you know, doesn't have that filter, doesn't know when to keep that in check. And uh, so I think for me, that's why it works. But it doesn't work a whole lot more than this. This works. I think these are great companion pieces for each other. Uh, well, they are. That this is kind of a B-movie take on a B-movie. Uh, yeah, this it, works. it totally is. But I feel like this is a pretty genius rejigging because... It's smart, I think yeah. It takes, I think it takes... See, Night Train Murders is more of a straight A to B ripoff of Last House on the Left. Sure, sure. And, and we'll cover is. Night Train at some point. Which, really. yeah, which all, I also prefer to Last House on the Left. Well, what I do like about Night Train and this compared to Last House is, of course, is, is of course the, the Italian sensibility, which is what I like yeah. in my in my genre cinema anyway. I, the importance of Last House on the Left is undeniable. Absolutely. Um, and some of the choices are certainly flawed. But, yeah. And, but, but, yeah, my taste runs more night train house on edge of park right so you, you know. couldn't have those without you couldn't have these without that 
Exactly. It's 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 that influential thing we always talk about. It's that yep. thing of uh, the first film might not be the best for anybody in any type of genre, and this is kind of like the you could arguably call this the home invasion genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Last House on the Left's not really a home invasion until you get to the third part of the film, the back third. But it kind of really kind of kicked off this whole kind of you know scary sensibility of of what could happen. It, I mean, yeah, it, it it's perfectly uh, all three of those films would make a a, a very dire trilogy of oh, entertainment man. for a Friday night. But certainly, they are all kind of playing in the same ballpark. So. Uh, Take what you will. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody between you and I who pre- prefers Night Train Murders over these two, over the other two. Night Train Murders, I, I've, said, I've probably said to you, I'm sure I've said to you off the air, has one of the most brutal, uh, It as brutal as this film is or, or Last House is, I feel like the, the violence and the cruelty in Night Train Murders is, is even more brutal. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where something happens to a, one of the females. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's brutal, man. <laughs> Where you have to look and go back and see if George Eastman may have written the script. Yeah, uh, it's awful. <laughs> did he write the script for that? I don't think he did. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but this film, you know, it, for me, I, I think <clears throat> similar to the Bergman film that's that's in, that influenced Last House. That that one deals more with this one deals with the morals as well. But this one that one deals more with the morals that I'm interested in the loss of innocence. Whereas uh, this one deals more with uh, kind of true rage and uh, maybe, you know, vengeance. And uh, certainly I think both of these films, for me, both films suffer from an odd third act. This one has an odd moment between two characters that I still don't buy for me. Uh, I no, don't, I know. I know. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to say I don't want to say. But I know you know what I'm saying because it is yes. it is kind of a slap in the face. It's kind of like okay, you've been through this, and now this is what you're going to do. Maybe I understand it in a survival element way, but and I don't think we're giving anything away by saying that. But I I, I find it hard to buy. I'm not saying it's it's a terrible move. It works. I just think it's it, it's 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 hard to buy, and just the same way as the Keystone Cops are hard to buy for me. Uh, I would agree. I think that there's there's no way a character does what they do in in this. There's no way of their own free will. Yeah, I just I just don't see it, right? I just don't yeah. see it. Also another interesting thing about the two films when you compare them. 72 obviously I think was last lesson. I think it was 72. 72, 73, 71. Sounds about right. But you're dealing with the world that was still much safer then. Hitchhiking, uh, uh teenage girls going to a concert, you know, a different aspect on the world. By the time you get to 1980 and House on the Edge of the Park, the world's gotten darker. Now you've got uh, Son of Sam's happen. You've got, uh, you know, a mansion had already happened, Last House on the Left. But you just have a darker, more sensibility. Plus, you're going into the me decade. Well, you're coming out of a very me decade, and you're going into an even more me decade in a lot of ways. So you're going through this the kind of selfish part of the 70s into the selfish part of the 80s. So I can see where Diodato's coming from with his characters in this film because this is very much these are very 80s driven characters with some 70s bleed over from the Hess character I think who's very much a gigolo slash you know he talks about the discotheque you know he talks about wanting to get down Want to boogie. Is, he wants yeah, to boogie yeah, he wants to boogie he says that like three or four times <laughs> but he never really boogies in the film uh, Radici does the boogie and unfortunately and it really yeah. uh, we all pay but the uh, <laughs> the, the 
the film does that's where the social commentary comes in because i think that you know what diodato's going for just like he did with uh you know cannibal holocaust talking about is man the real animal right so yeah you know you kind of get into that so definitely in 80 he was he was working out some things in his brain well also i think what year was saturday night fever 77 or 79 77 77 i believe 77 yeah i think i feel like you know a few years after that they were trying to get a little bit of the disco vibe and even though it's gone a little bit of shooting in brooklyn well it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for the italians to be about three years behind (laughs) yeah exactly trying to cash in right (laughs) yeah so i feel like they're trying to get a little bit of that in you know with hess especially considering this is yeah saying if you were 77 especially considering this is made for world audiences right so they would be two or three years behind they would still think hey those americans they love to disco dance they love to boogie <laughs> they love to boogie yes yes <laughs> boogie boogie with a k in it somehow i don't yeah. know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very strange sure. but it, but it is interesting to watch these this film and that film and even night train it's interesting to kind of compare these kind of cruel uh horror films because there is a certain genre of horror films that deal more with cruelty than just flat out horror, and this is certainly in that genre of sure. dealing with cruelty. And it it it's not for the weak of heart. I mean, if you if you don't like cruelty, you may not like this. So you know, if you haven't seen it, you know, be warned. I mean, we can only give you the warning we can Fucking give you. But I mean, dirty. we're com- we're comparing it to Last House. So if you have seen that, then you kind of know what you're in for. Yeah. And uh, it's it's not exactly you know this is. This is more the kind of film that, like, if my wife walks in, that I'm a little bit more. I'm actually embarrassed about because I'm. <laughs> you get, feel like yeah, I, I'm Sal. getting I, yeah, I'm getting entertainment out of this, and I mean, I'm getting legitimate entertainment out of this. I enjoy this movie. Oh yeah, me too. Me but, too. But I don't. I mean, I know that I'm not damaged. Well, I mean, arguably, I'm damaged, but I know. I mean, we just talked about stirrups for ten minutes in the last one, yes. but. I mean, arguably, <laughs> I have issues, but I know how to separate the two. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, Ooh, I'm not. It all comes back to strips again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, that separates two every time. Yes. Uh, lock them in. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you know how to separate the two, though. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Anyway. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I think this film, you know, it's got a 5.9 overall rating from 33, 000, from 3,300 users on IMDb. It's ridiculous. It's a little low. Yeah, yeah, it's a little low. I, I think that it, it, I'm surprised it's that low. I wonder what Last House has. But anyway, I'll pass it over to you to talk about it. Cool. I do want to say, too, you know, there's a lot of films, and I wanted to try to find a list of all of them and tick off the ones that I thought were good or not. So Another film that let I me, like. Uh, that, let me throw this out there. Last House on the Left from 23,000 users has a six. So that's just right below that as far as, you know, crowd sourcing uh, reviews go, huh. which I find interesting. Yeah. yeah, interesting for sure. What's also interesting is La Settima Donna or Last House on the Beach. Oh, yeah. Which uh, it kind of follows this formula. It's a little bit off the thing, but it, <laughs> it's got it, some interesting performances in it. <laughs> well, it does. And it's one of the few where Ray Lovelock plays a real piece of shit. <laughs> It's got my girl Florinda Balkan in it, yeah. and they kind of they take it a step further in that it's a nun at a remote house, like a beach house, with the girls from like the school. Yeah, it's right. It's actually I, I didn't know this. I just looked it up. It actually came out before this. I didn't know that. Exactly. So it was the first one to riff on that, and then there's also um, there's like a Turkish Last House on the Left as well, which I've never seen. And then there's the remake. Did, didn't you watch the remake? 
Yeah, the remake was okay. Yeah, I mean it was you know, it was better than nasty. it had any business being, right? Agreed. I'll yeah. give you that. It wasn't Absolutely. it wasn't great, but it, it was, was nasty though. Yeah, but yeah, it was surprisingly nasty. But what's interesting is the Seti Madonna, Last House on the Beach, also comes in with a five point nine. Isn't that isn't it crazy? Yeah, they're all right there, five point nine to six. And directed what, by Franco Prosperi, who was a really underappreciated. I wonder what Night Train um, Murders comes in at. If it's a 5.9, I'm going to eat my shoe. <laughs> All right, I'm clicking on it right now. Here we go. And it is, ooh, it comes in with a 6.3. The, man, highest, of the highest of the four, man. People like their cruelty. How many, how many people have reviewed it? 1,400. Now, that's the one thing you can say about the one you just talked about. It came in at 5.9, but it only has... Uh, Last House of the Beach only has 405 users. Yeah, that's so, interesting. A little different. But, but interesting yeah. that they're all in the same ballpark. I wonder what Hitchhike is. Now I'm now I'm like, oh, Hitchhike's a, roughly a seven. Wow. Well, Hitchhike's a good film. I mean, it, yeah, Hitchhike's yeah. a very good film. And Hess was another great performance. <laughs> Hess, yeah, and Trim and Narrow are both pieces of shit in that one. Yeah, it's good. We got we, we to gotta, we gotta review that at some point. We totally do. It's a good one. So, okay, I'll try to run through my notes because we've kind of gone along with this one. Um, so, uh, that's crazy, man. I can't believe all those films are so similar in crowdsourcing. So, yeah, uh, it's reviews. True. I mean, I'm not saying that that's something to go by, but I know a lot of people do, and I just find it interesting that they're all so close together. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, Riz Ortolani scores this much like he scored. Um, Kind of a holocaust. I think Sweetly and 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 the Green Inferno theme both have this kind of bizarre, kind of sad melancholy to them that is juxtaposed with the brutality you see on screen. I have one more note, if you don't mind, I want to throw in because you oh, brought no, up no. Riz. One of the other issues I have with this film: the scene between Hess and the actress that spends the majority of her time nude. What is her name? Uh, the one, the the one in the oh, shower. Oh, Annie Bell. The scene between them in the bedroom, I think, is terribly misguided in its scoring. I don't remember the scoring. Of the it. scoring is very romantic music. <laughs> well, Hess found it to be a romantic scene. Well, yeah, I guess if you take it from his perspective, you're right. You know. <laughs> and Hess, I love in the disc, Hess goes out of his way to say three or four times that he actually fucked her in the film. <laughs> he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, he goes, it happens all the time. He goes, no one wants to talk about it. He goes, it always happens. It's real. It's very real. I don't know about that, Davey. Yeah, we, well, she get to see Hess face then. Rest rest in peace, uh, David Hess. Rest in peace. But, but. A great storyteller, a great yeah. songwriter, and a, and a, a great cinematic uh, presence. Yes, certainly. Absolutely. <laughs> Hess, you need people like that. Hess was great. Yeah, yeah Hess he was. was. Hess was an icon, man. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it just... Um, do you, did you also get a bit of a vibe, and I've always gotten this vibe, that much like, and I don't know if this was Diodato kind of going for like uh, an Otis and Henry Lee Lucas thing, but like a bit of a homosexual undercurrent between yeah. the two characters? Yeah, yeah, you get a little bit of that. You certainly get more of the homosexual undercurrent from the Radici character. You totally do. Not so much from Hess. but What's interesting it, is I, this time around, I got a homosexual undercurrent from the two well-off guys. Oh, I didn't get that. I got that this time. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's weird. That one actor who's looks like a young Udo Kier, uh, 
He's the one who gets his face smashed in. What's his name? Oh, he gets chained up for most of the film? No, no, no. He's the one that's walking around, but he gets his... Uh, oh, you're thinking of Christian Borromeo. Yeah, yeah. He gets his uh, he gets his face broke. Yeah, that's who it is. No wonder. I've seen him before. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was in a Tenebrae. He is in Tenebrae. I know that. He's got a very kind of still face. Like, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. So he's yeah. Well, see, another thing I think is genius about the casting of this film is it was sold for an international audience, and they were smart. Like they used a kind of pan-European cast in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like Lorraine DeSalle's French, Annie Bell is French, uh, Christian Borromeo's blonde, uh, Hess say, is American. There's the black chick in it. Now the black chick's hot. She's a good-looking woman, man. Carol, is it Carol? Is that Caroline Mardek? Maybe I don't know. I, I looked. I did a Google search. I think it is her. I think. Ooh, Christian Baromo. No, that's not her. That's the one that was married to Hess. Yeah, he did a film called Ups and Downs of a Super Stud. <laughs> Who did that? Christian Baromio. Bar- did he really? Yeah. Ups and Downs of a Super Stud. That's we need, amazing. We need to see that. <laughs> Marie-Claude Joseph. Maybe it's Marie-Claude. I think she might have been Marie-Claude Joseph. Maybe, yeah. I don't know who she was exactly, but she she was a striking-looking lady. Yeah, she maybe was. not for everybody's taste, but she certainly. She's uh, my taste. Yeah, I mean she she was stri- I mean she just kind of stood out, not because she was. Yeah, the, she's Marie Claude Joseph. Not because she was the uh, the token black character, but because she had a look, and uh, no, but she did have a look. Yeah, she did. She, she really stood out in the film. Yeah, yeah, that's her. You're right. I see her now. But uh, sadly, oh, you know, I would have liked to have seen more from Gabriele De Giulio, who the guy that was chained up. Yeah, he's got, he's got a good he's got a good face. He's like got it. a really interesting face. You know who he reminds me of is the as uh, I was going to say the love lock of the love child of Ray Lovelock and Leonard Mann. <laughs> yeah, he's got a really interesting face. But sadly, he died of a heroin overdose like Ooh. in the eighties. Like he mm. made three or four films, then he died. It's too bad because I, I I wish there was more of him in the film. Very interesting face. He did one more film after this. Recall Joseph. Um, this is the only thing she ever did. She said, "Fuck this business." After she got done with this film. Yeah. She said, fuck it, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? It's kind of funny in a, I don't say funny, it's going to sound very insensitive, and I don't mean it to be, but it worked out, the way fate works out, I think, is for the best, because there's a really vulgar line in this, because Hess freewheeled a lot of the dialogue. He calls um, um, Marie-Claude Joseph, he calls her Roots, as in the Alex Haley book. Yeah, it's terrible. The, the, the <laughs> adaptation that was done uh, for TV. He calls her Roots, but the Italians weren't aware of that. So when they subtitled it for the international market, they put Ruth, as in Baby Ruth, like a, or a, a Babe Ruth, or uh, Ruth Gordon. Yeah. Right? So it's Ruth, funny that Ruth he Gordon. meant something so gross and vulgar when he said it. Let's put Ruth Gordon in stirrups this week. This, the, oh. <laughs> the, but it's so funny that that it ended up as Ruth. It's for the better, certainly. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Hess. You know, by re- he, I think by him writing his own dialogue, he, obviously he knew what kind of character he was supposed to play. So he's going to put the most repugnant and awful shit in here, and he really yeah. went for it. He really does. I mean, I have to say it. The thing, you can tell that Hess revels in kind of holding court. Yeah. Because he he delivers, he's kind of like a poet, I mean, in some ways, a poet of vulgarity. You know what I would have loved to have seen? I would have really loved to have seen it. I would have loved to have seen um, like a cop film that had Wings as the good guy and Hess as the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been amazing. What was the name of that actor that uh, heroin overdose? Uh, Gabriele Di Giulio. Okay. Gabriele Di Giulio. Really too bad. 
But and we haven't even mentioned this yet. But Last House on the Left, of course, was in and of itself a ripoff of uh, Bergman's The Virgin Spring. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know if ripoff's the right word, but certainly yeah, a certainly a remake homage. or influence homage, yeah, whatever you want to say. A dark homage, certainly. Dark yeah. homage, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but, uh, yeah, but it was, yeah, yeah, and, and of course, uh, out, out of all those films, I like the Bergman film the most. But that's just me being a bit snotty. But that's dealing Bergman with, one's good, and that's heavy duty stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it but that's dealing with the stuff that you know. These films are these films are dealing with them in an exploitation way, and that makes for entertainment. Don't get me wrong; I love these films, but the Bergman film is dealing with it, you know, in a human, in a moral way. and philosophical way. Yeah, yeah, maybe a bit cold for some, certainly. I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's quite good, certainly, and that's an obvious statement. But I haven't went back and watched it since I've had children. I don't know if I can. Yeah, I did. I don't. Know. I watched. It. I've only watched it once in my life, and it was later in the game. I actually, I've seen it. No, I've seen it twice. Once as a parent, I believe. But anyway, heavy stuff. Um, I love the house they shoot this film in. It's a really great modern house for the time. Yes. Really interesting. And I, like, I, I like the staircase a lot. No, no, uh, no uh, stair, like, you know, like, you know. No banister or rail. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no stirrups on the stairs at stirrups all. The staircase, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> But I really love the house. And it takes, you know, it's a simple setup. And it's a smart Italian economical setup. Mm-hmm. Get one location and shoot it. They found a great location and they shot it. A few days picking up some shots in New York for for value or for production value. But the house looks great. And, you know, say what you will, but it's not easy to sustain that tension over about 80 minutes in one location. But Diodato does a great job of that, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does. That, that's what this film does have over, like, Last House on the Left. That, that film moves around. I think it does people, move around, People right? forget that sometimes. That that film yeah, takes place in a couple different locations. It does. Um, this, this is really one, one location. Yeah, this is a one-location film, which is always impressive, in my opinion, when you can make the characters interesting. Because even though, like I said, I you know, you come out... For me, I came out of this, you don't like... I, I don't like anybody. But I did find everybody interesting. Which, doesn't that come back to sort of the Italians doing spaghetti westerns? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right? Making yeah. everyone kind of... The grimy in the grand scheme of things. Well, just make it. You know, you could argue that what the Italians did was, you know, kind of show. You know, I think you know Americans. We we want to believe that there's a lot of black and white when it comes to good and bad. But uh, I think if there's a lot of gray. Yeah, if if we you know if we'd have had Mussolini, if we'd have had you know leaders like that and stuff, we might see the world differently. So yeah, well, very true. You know, you also get a little bit of a, a mice and men vibe from. Uh, from Hess and Radice. Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, they're good. Uh, they're good as a combo in this film. They are good as a combo. This, might be, this might be one of my favorite Radice performances. I don't always love him, but this is certainly. I mean, he's obnoxious and odd, but uh, yeah, he's interesting he in the film. He's actually pretty good in the movie. Remember him in um, Stage Fright? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and it's also it also feels like that film. What's that one? The dinner party, is it? Where? What's the one where I can't think of the name of the film? Maybe it was a. I don't know if it was Louis Mal. Who it was? Where everyone invites a buffoon to dinner, or they rotate. They invite like a, a sort of unassuming buffoon to dinner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't that, didn't that get remade as well? Or was yeah, it? I think it did. But it kind of feels like that early on, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With, but that comes into that class tension thing again. We should say also. Like some people are going to call us out, but we should mention. You know. Uh, last house on Dead End Street, which is 
I've never seen Last Thousand Dead on the Street. No, I haven't either. But uh, there's there, there's other versions of this, obviously. Yeah. Um, I love garter belts since we're discussing things on oh, air. Do you? You garter belt? Kind I've gotten of? older, man. I've really gotten into like garter belts and not not wearing. I should say. <laughs> Let you me know, clarify. You know, I'm not. Yeah. Well. You know, speak for yourself. Teach their own. Speak for yourself, man. I'm snapping my garters right now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know what I you know what I really like? What? I like a woman fully nude, but just with tennis shoes on. Yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. Or I, I, high I, heels. I, I'm not a high heel guy, but I love tennis shoes. I don't I don't know what it is. I like no, I like tennis shoes. I can get down with I like footwear. It's yeah. it's good. Yeah. For sure. But um yeah, I'm not I'm, not, I'm not a garter guy, but I you know, who knows? Maybe ten more years from now, I'll be a garter yep. guy. I, love, I mean, I love it. I love the I love the women in this film. I really love them. Yeah, they're gorgeous. They are. I love the way they look. They they yeah, they're gorgeous. Uh, Everybody you know, except Hess's wife. I don't like Hess's wife because I feel like her face is a bit. <laughs> it's 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 a bit dead. Yeah. I mean, no offense. I mean, I'm sure she's a nice lady. <laughs> yeah, I hate yeah. to say that, man, but I mean, I just got to be honest. Yeah. You know, it's. it's got to keeps it real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that face is like a cold stirrup in the snow, man. It just doesn't work. Oh, you know? that's cold. <laughs> Maybe that's ice cold. <laughs> that is ice cold. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. No, that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, all the women are good looking in this film. Really good looking. And yeah, which, again, I, the one, the one that has—I mean, the one that spends the majority of her time nude in the film. She's not my type, but she—I don't is, like short hair, but she's she's got sex appeal. Oh so, man, she's sexy. She is. She's very sexy. She that's has more. I, she has more hair in her pubic region than she has on her head, but that's okay. Man. Man, homegirl has a bush. <laughs> she does. That sponge thought, has no fucking chance. No, I thought the same thing. I'm looking at the sponge, looking at her bush thing, and man, they're both the same. And I love, I love yeah. that scene because she's seducing Hess through a glass shower, and her her bush is like almost against the glass, and and Hess is like kissing the glass. Oh yeah, he's kissing her nipples and everything. It's great. It's a great scene, man. It's there's so much bush and nudity and sleaze in this film. It's my it's favorite. It's my. It, I mean, I'll just forthright and say it's. It, you know, it's my make or break scene. I love that scene. That shower scene's great. great. Scene. It's sexy, sleazy, and kind of shitty all in the same thing. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's uh, the thing. It's, all we needed uh, was Hess to take a fucking drop a Cleveland steamer on her right in there, and we've been all right, man. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Uh, it's. Uh, that's the thing. I feel like this film. There's something very kind of erotically charged about this film. Like it feels very kind of cocaine, disco, art scene, upper class, lower class tension. Like I just a lot of interesting things going on beneath. It's it's more – I think people that just write this film off and, and I hate that people write Diodato off as like a hack because Cannibal Holocaust is to me is a masterpiece. You know, Yeah, it is. Moral repugnancy. Is repugnancy a word? I'm going to pretend it is. I think it is. Moral repugnancy. You can say, say that that or morally repugnant. Whatever the way. As morally repugnant as it is, I feel like it is a masterpiece. Raiders of Atlantis is to me a perfect. I think perfect. I think cannibal. The only thing people don't like about Cannibal Holocaust is the animal. That's the only thing they don't Needless. like. Yeah, that's what it's, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that. That's morally repugnant. There's no justification. Certainly, for that, but, certainly. But um, he, he's you know one of the really unsung. As much as his name gets bandied about, he is a, 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 an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, uh, for me. For my money. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think when he made Cannibal Holocaust, he both made himself and he broke himself because so, of the the reaction to it. In his career, that's what one would call the make or break. Yeah, or the we, make yeah, break. Yeah, we the uh, you know people forget he you know he went to court. 
Mm-hmm. They thought he, he was actually up on killed people. Charges, yeah. He had to like because he made them sign a thing to say they would stay out of public for like a year. Yeah, so almost come out. He had to like fly them into the can or something. He really went through some shit for in nineteen eighty. So led for his art, man. Yeah, he really did. Hey, better bleeding for your art than bleeding for your fart. That's exa- well, exactly. That's what I always say. Yeah, that's what I always say. Um, you know, Hess as crass and piggish. <laughs> the next slogan on our next T-shirt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, he really missed the opportunity um, for a really crass line because there's the, the moment when he comes into the kitchen, he follows Annie Bell into the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, you know, she's very passive aggressive with him. And she says, when you're finished stuffing yourself, shut the fridge. And that seems like the perfect moment where Hess would have said something like, well, I'd rather stuff you. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> Such he a didn't. Hess thing to say. I don't know, I'm surprised he didn't say anything like that. She did, uh, yeah. she did quite a bit of sex cinema. Oh, yeah. Uh, Annie Bell did. And I'm looking she's through here. Sick. I don't think I've seen anything else, but uh, we we might need to look into some of her filmography. Not because... I'm a dirty old man, but because there might be some good stuff in there. Oh, she did Forever Emmanuel. Oh, wow. She did a Jean Roland film, Lips of Blood. Oh, interesting. Ooh, a film called Sex Rally. What a great title. It is a great title. Ooh, <laughs> Closed Up Tight. I can't only imagine what that means. Well, I don't know. We'll find out someday. Ooh, it's got Terry Thomas in it. <laughs> Ooh, it's got Marty Feldman in it. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> sex really yeah she's That's, uh, uh, certainly probably a sex mm. comedy of some sort oh man she did um she did some d'amato stuff which means that Tornado, which i think i've seen Ooh, with an actor named ziggy or a woman named ziggy zanger well geez we anyway see, we need to see that laura gemja that's clearly a, a nudie of sorts well, that, um that film of uh absurd that she did in 81 that's a george eastman annie bell joint nice he plays, uh, George Eason plays Miko Stenopoulos. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, she's good. But uh, the detective with the shower scene. Uh, Ricky, it's interesting how this film goes. Oh, here's the pro tip of the day. <laughs> Take off your pants and boots when you're, when you're uh, soaping a woman up with a sponge. And she even says to him, you're such a pro. It's like, Annie, is he really a pro? He's got his fucking boots and pants on still in the shower at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got a... <laughs> Before he reveals the dad bod. And, uh, oh, man. and then it's great. Hess gets her to put him on the glass, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great scene. I, I think it's one of the, it's sexy and nasty. And like I said, a little bit shitty as well. It's, it's, it's yeah. just about everything that the movie is in one little kind of, in one little scene. Yeah. It's true. Kind of like diorama Ricky, or something. I feel like the, you mentioned this kind of earlier when talking about the film and no one gets off as being kind of clean, but, I feel like the film does a genius thing where it starts out and we know these guys are gross and like as in Ricky and, and Hess's character. But then you start to really feel for Ricky and even Hess to a lesser degree because the class tension stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you do. You know, they're in the poker scene. Yeah, like, you, you do. You really start to feel for him. You do. You do. I mean, I think, right. I think it's what he's going for too. Like, you know, it's, it's the same thing as the Cannibal Holocaust thing. It's like, you know, who's the real animal here? Yeah. Um, what's great is 30, 30 minutes in has threatens to put a champagne bottle in a man's asshole. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> You're in, this is Hess's house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just another weekend in the Hess house, you know? <laughs> yeah. He get yeah, dude got the Alejandrito treatment, which we talked about. <laughs> yeah. Called the Alejandrito treatment. <laughs> um, we talked about, yeah, Hess holding court. Uh, gosh, I have so many. <laughs> so many notes I'm just skimming through here 
Um, oh, I love when the, the a character says, and I don't want to say who it is because it kind of reveals something that happens at the back end, but they say, I've never seen you guys hanging out with studs like this before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a bizarre. Oh, that, that might be the, uh, no, was that the young girl that came up? Was yeah. that Cindy yeah, that came yeah, in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt yeah. really bad for Cindy. Oh, man, that's that's the heaviest stuff because you feel like she's like the lamb to the slaughter, right? Yeah, like she comes in, you know, she's like she's like Dennis Eckersley coming in the ninth and getting fucked. And yeah, big time, <laughs> big time. Like she, because, she blew that save hard, man. <laughs> man, you really feel for her because you know they cast her because she looked young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing too, right? She has these I mean, big blue eyes and blonde hair. It borders on like complete uncomfortableness because now oh, we're starting yeah. to get, you know, potential underage type thing going on there yeah and they, they cast her to, to make it even more cruel and i love that i think hess says to her he says now let's not spoil the party by doing the wrong thing yeah he says some all he says some very freddy kruegerish type shit in this film <laughs> he man. totally does man he totally <laughs> does he totally does um what else do we got oh man another movie with another christmas handshake like we talked about <laughs> hess loves the fucking straight razor yeah, he does. It's interesting. He goes through his weapons in his locker and he decides to grab the straight razor. I, I, straight I, razor. I don't know if the straight razor is the one I would grab, but, you know, again, th- th- that can do a lot of damage if you know how to use it. And it's a visceral kind of thing, right? And I think that scene with um, the girl at the straight razor when she's nude, that scene's edited very well because there's very little in terms of special effects, but they edit it in a way that makes it still feel pretty powerful. The thing about the straight razor is when a straight razor cuts... <laughs> I guess maybe it's because of having experience of shaving as a man, mm-hmm. but there's something awful about a straight razor slice as opposed to a knife slice. I don't know what that is, but for me, yeah. the straight razor is kind of repulsive that way. It's just, it opens a gash that's, uh, no pun intended. Goes back to the syrup. Yeah. <laughs> it opens a gash that's just completely disgusting, you know? So, it, <laughs> well, I don't know what gashes you're opening, but. <laughs> Maybe that nun's from uh, Girl Boss Gorilla, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm with you, though. The straight razor is more visceral in some way. Because I feel like we're opening it around our – not open. Here we go. We're using it around our throats yeah. in a very vulnerable position. So yeah. I think the connotation of it mm-hmm. you know, being – I got to say, as great as Hess is and as, as well-directed as this film is, there's a moment at the back end when I had tagged the photo as Hess face. Yeah, oh, come I, on. I, I feel like that scene is like when he's just about to fall in the pool. Is the like the, the Italian B movie misstep <laughs> equivalent to uh, the new Star Wars film when Darth Vader goes no? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is a weird moment. It's such a weird, like a wacky moment. Like you know, but I, I love the line too. At that point, you know, someone says, "At what price, revenge?" Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting kind of brilliant um, meta commentary, I think, you know, philosophically and also cinematically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, yeah. And anyway, those are all my notes. I could keep going, but I won't. Cool. A long episode. Yeah, we've uh, – I'm sitting there looking at uh, Lorraine DeSalle's uh, filmography. The body of work. She's a producer now, eh? Yeah. yeah she she doesn't give Ruggiero the time of day, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not. She – Probably doesn't do anything with the Italians. Well, no, she does still work with the Italians. She's doing uh, Italian miniseries and stuff. So, but yeah, she man, she did some real filth. <laughs> she, she did, man. She, she didn't work a lot, but <laughs> what she did do. <laughs> she got into the muck. 
Yeah, she really got into the shit, didn't she? Emmanuel in America, fucking Women's oh, yeah. Camp 119. Man, she did some real fucking filth. How I does, love her. How to That's seduce your sister. Or your teacher, not your sister. That's another movie for me. Stand <laughs> 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 me with that Freudian slip. Whoops. <laughs> I slipped right out of the stirrups on that one, man. <laughs> Oh, you're the Crisco kid, man. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> wow. Full on Motley mode, yo. <laughs> All right. Let's get into make or break and stuff before anything else comes to light. <laughs> before, any, before another anal bee drops out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pulling those things like a lawnmower cord, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oof. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, my make or break is the... Uh, <laughs> you got to turn down? <laughs> yeah. My make or break is the shower scene. Uh, like I said, it kind of encapsulates the whole kind of motif of the film. Uh, not to use a fancy word, but I mean, it does have the kind of sexiness, the kind of sleaziness, and uh, like I said, the kind of shittiness of the characters all mixed in one. MVT for me on this one. Uh, this is kind of a tough choice between Diodato and Hess, but I'm going to go with Hess. Uh... And uh, probably the only reason why I say why is I think Diodato's made better films that I could attribute just to him. Uh, Hess has a lot to do with this one, so I'm going to go with Hess on this one. Uh, my score is a 7.75 out of 10. Love House on the Edge of the Park. It's really good stuff. I couldn't go quite 8. No, I agree Because I have some problems with it. But I, I, I wouldn't go 8 with Last House either, probably. I'd probably come in around <laughs> the same score. Uh, even though I like it more, uh, it would probably come around the same spot. But I haven't nice. watched it in a long time. I'd be interested to revisit The Last House at some point. Nice, nice. I'm sure we'll cover it at some point in the history of the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, right after name, we uh, cover how to seduce your sister. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's like a sexploitation film with that title. <laughs> yeah. There has to be. Uh, um, oh, yeah, come on. There's <laughs> there has to be. There oh, yeah. has to be. Um, um, I'm not even going to Google search it because I know there has to be. <laughs> yeah. My make or break, the cookie, you get the cookie crisp that way, man. <laughs> Um, oh, or geez. crisp cookie, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. uh, my make or break is going to be the reveal at the back end. First time I saw this film, I uh, I was really impressed with it because it is it I, is handled well. It's handled well because I feel like I the reveal is like the first thing they had in mind. <laughs> I I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like they, they, they. I feel like they work backwards from the reveal. Or, or it was the second thing they had in mind. The first thing was Last House on the Left. <laughs> yeah, and well, yeah. like, how can yeah. we rejig this? Yeah, exactly. But I feel like without divulging too much to spoil what that reveal is, which I guess I'm sure some people may be able to figure out. I'm no Sherlock Hemlock, but you know, um, <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, it, it just. I think it, it showed, showed to me that Diodato really. I had more in mind than just shamelessly ripping off a film. Uh, MVT, yeah, I could go with Theodato. You went with Hess, I'll go with Theodato. Um, because, nice, nice. you know, he's in, he was involved with, and I want to say, Domo Arigato di e Odato. He nails it, man. He uh, That was awkward. Um, <laughs> he really nails it. You know, he brings everything together and... Uh, I want to sing for the roof from the rooftops. My love of Mr. Diodato, and uh, my score is a seven point uh, a seven point five. Nice. I love this film. It's one of my favorite. That's interesting. I scored it higher than you did. That's interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. Because I feel but, your love for this film more than mine, but I do, yeah. I do quite enjoy this movie. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think if you're, and again, much like we talked about the last one, if you want to show someone kind of like a, a pinky violence film, it's a good place to start. This is kind of a good place to start with someone who you want to show a really down and dirty Italian exploitation film because it's well made, it's stylish, shot. You know, they shot this film in three weeks. Yeah, they did. They, they, it's very impressive when you think about it. Totally. Totally. So that's it. That is. That's the big show, man. Uh, I'm sure everybody will get a nice kick out of this one. We've giggled our way through a sleazy summer episode. We want to thank everybody we who kept t- it sleazy. Yeah, we want to thank everybody who took play took uh, part in the sleazy summer. Uh, all those shows. Please uh, check out the the posters that we've posted, uh, uh, and check out the shows, please, because trust me, they're all worth the listen. They are, uh, and I, I will. Once you're done, I will mention all the shows my name again. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, we'll go ahead and do that because we we haven't talked about what we're covering next week anyway. So go ahead and do that. So yeah, I want to thank Hamicus. Uh, I want to thank Cult of Muscle. We, not I. We want to thank Cult of Muscle, uh, Silver and Gold, uh, Feminine Critique, The Trashy Trio, Married with Clickers, and I think that's everyone. And I want to thank, of course. Uh, everyone that's you know uh, partook or partaken in this partook is that even a word? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like it though. Partook. <laughs> I want to thank uh, the gentleman that did the art, the uh, the poster art for us. I mean, you've seen these posters bandied about, yeah, over the past uh, you know couple months, and you know it just it shows you know the unbelievable community. That, you could you um, could say his first name, couldn't you? What's that? You could say his first name, couldn't you? I could, okay. I could, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to thank uh, Jason, and of course uh, Rodrigo. Yes, and Max. Yes, and um, Jason as well. I think you said Jason. What, did you get two Jasons? Yeah, sorry, I did. Who am I forgetting here? I feel like an asshole now. Well, that's the that's the problem with thank yous. That's one of the reasons why we that's stopped. Why doing I didn't them. mention names. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, uh, no, <laughs> you, no, it's all good. Threw you right good. out there under that David Hess train. That's okay. No, I'm going to, while you, um, while you uh, talk about what we're covering next week, I'm going to find out uh, who I didn't thank. We're going to do a, you want to do a three film arrow show? Yeah. You want to? I think we have, I think we both have copies of all three of these. So, all right. So next week. We're going to be doing another Arrow show. We're going to cover three films, another uh, trilogy-type show, but, of course, the films have nothing in common other than the fact that they're released by Arrow Video. Uh, we are going to finally be covering uh, Luigi... Uh, was it Luigi? Coxie's, uh Yeah, Coxie's. Luigi Coxie's, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of alien ripoff, uh, Contamination, which is out on Blu-ray. We're also going to be covering... Uh, oh, man, forgive me for not... Uh, Remembering the name, but uh, Bob Hussein, Robert Hussein's uh, Western Cemetery Without Crosses, and the one and only uh, Jack Hill with a uh, kind of seminal uh, B movie classic. One that I'm kind of surprised it's taken us this long to cover in a weird way because it's kind of one everybody always wants to kind of talk about when you talk about uh, genre cinema, but uh, Spider Baby. So we're going to be doing Spider Baby, Cemetery Without Crosses, and Contamination. I have no idea what I'm going to call that show. Oh man! So Maybe we said Spider Baby Cemetery without Spider Baby con- contamination. 
Okay. The contamination of a cemetery of spider babies? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> That's going to be good. I know um, we didn't, uh, we've already covered Pit Stop, but we might mention that one as well because yeah. we've got the U.S. release of that. So Yeah, we got the U.S. release of that. It's it's similar, except for the region coding. It's completely similar to the other release. But uh, So you can go back and listen to that review as well, but we'll mention some things about it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. With that, yeah, that's it. Uh, you got any more names? <laughs> I do. I'm just trying to figure out who I missed here. This is awful. <laughs> ah, we love you guys. We Don't do. Me. Forgive me. I feel very, very bad right now for not um, for not. Uh, fuck. You know what? We're gonna thank you in the show notes yes. specifically because uh, it's unacceptable for us to do this. For me to do this so thank you though um i know it's right around you where the fuck is the post anyway it is what it is um we appreciate everyone's hard work and and uh taking part in the show and uh i guess with that there's one thing left to say yeah i guess there is that would be adios adios okay wait <laughs> we're not done philip 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 we sing from the mountaintops thank you for your poster that you were kind enough and gracious enough to design. He did the the very awesome kind of 80s, 90s uh, rollerblade girl with all the, like the uh, the hot pink and the teals and everything else. So, nice, nice. Um, yeah, for some reason, I, I just I was drawing a blank on that. It's 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. We've been up since before 5. So, uh, yeah, gentlemen, the four of you are princes. Um, thank you so much. Yes. And uh, I guess now we can say that one thing that we always say. Yes. Adios. Adios. <laughs> All right. <laughs>